Hello, and welcome back to Legend of the Glorio Heroes, your premier Legend of the Galactic Heroes recap podcast. Currently embroiled in the hot flames of terrifyingly partisan politics, we've got front row ticket seats to the grinding death of democracy here, and we're ready and willing to use the 1988 OVA to contextualize our truly confusing times. <laughs> As always, I'm your host, G, and sitting right next to me in the bleachers, and by right next to me, I mean approximately 20 miles away, is my co-host, Eero. Hi. Yeah, I'm still here uh, for the final episode of Season 1 of Legends of the Galactic Heroes. Uh, Yes, exactly. We are here to discuss the final two episodes of Legend of the Galactic Hero Season 1. Mm-hmm. Or at least what I think is Season 1. Yeah, my understanding. according to Wikipedia, anyway. Uh, yes. Right, so, so that's, you know. <laughs> that's Episode 25, The Day Before Destiny, and Episode 26, Farewell Distant Days. Only two episodes, but uh, an interesting couple <laughs> of episodes here. Yeah, we're back to saying it's an interesting couple of episodes after the, in- last, the last three episodes. Indeed, indeed. I... Let's just roll right into it, because there are some things to unpack here. So, we kick off with episode 25. Kirkyai's still out there in space, winning battles and shit, when we find out that Geyersburg has finally been captured. Yep, time for uh, Kirkyai's to come on back and debrief and report about everything, and ask Reinhard what was with the nukes. Yes, uh, the the moments maybe take a shower. <laughs> yeah, you know, get some R and R before confronting your childhood best friend about the war crime he has committed. And so we have the moment of reckoning where Kirky Eyes confronts Reinhard about what really happened at Westerland. You know, bless Kirky Eyes. You know, being him. You know, trying to knock some moral sense into our friend Reinhard here, try to, I mean, you know, basically say, hey, letting people get nuked. It's not cool. <laughs> not okay. Very bad. I wasn't really expecting Reinhardt to just straight up cop to it, uh, like, straight away. In this I, I feel like in some ways I kind of saw this coming. Like, regardless of how Reinhardt actually felt, or however you know, culpable he was in the Westerland incident, so to speak. I feel like Reinhardt being who he is, kind of the image and the, you know, kind of the facade of impenetrable right. ruler that right. he is. At some, on some level, he has to say, yes, I, I chose to do this. Right. He's just got to justify it to himself. Exactly. Not only does he have to justify it to himself, but he has to justify it to everybody around him. What I think is striking about this is mm. that Reinhardt felt he even had to maintain this facade with Kirky Eyes. I mean, yeah. this conversation in general is unlike any other conversation Kirky Eyes and Reinhardt have ever had. Yeah, I mean, as it has been foreshadowed that like at some point Kirky Eyes will have to you know, truly grapple uh, with Reinhardt over like questionable tactics or just generally unethical actions. Uh, this is kind of culmination of that. Cause yes. Where he yes. straight up says, like, if you're you're trying to become the Kaiser, but what at the, 
at this point, what is the difference between your actions and, and that of Rudolph? Right, essentially, at what cost? And I realize that is kind of a narrative cliche, you know, the whole, oh, if you kill the bad guy, you'll be just as bad as him. Like, personally, I think oh, that yeah. plot device is bullshit. Right. But I do think there is some merit to what Kirky Eyes is saying here. Because regardless, okay, so here's the thing, right? There is going to be a lot of discussion, and I'm sure there have been many conversations about <laughs> Reinhardt's rise to power and whether the ends justified the means, whether his actions were validated by the results that they brought. And at least for now, I think things are going to keep going well for Reinhardt in the face of increasingly morally questionable actions. But I think what Kirky Eyes is trying to pose here is this is a slippery slope. Yeah. You, sure, you didn't drop a nuke on anybody this time, but you allowed it you, to happen. You let it happen, and who's to say what happens next time if you've already let it happen once? And that's kind of the thing about this conversation, right? Reinhardt immediately rebukes Kirky Eyes. Yeah, he pulls rank. He just straight up pulls rank on Kirky Eyes. Yeah, for like, the first time. Yeah, there's a good shot, uh, maybe a little on the nose, where Kirky Eyes talks about how the blood is already on your hands, and we see the like light shining through the wine, creating a dread stain on Reinhardt's hands. Oh yes, it's it's <laughs> a, a bit, little it's a, a little in your face, but much. also <laughs> it's the exact kind of absurd space right. operatic kind of thing that yes. Legend of Galactic Heroes kind of makes work, especially the Empire stuff. But, I uh, do, the one yeah. one thing I also really liked about the scene was after Kirky Eyes leaves without touching his wine, we see Reinhardt just drink from that second glass. Yes, I... Who can say what that entails in the I future, know. but... Yeah. No, no, a... but, but I agree with you, is... You know... <laughs> I, I is this the start of a problem for Reinhard? I'll put it this way. Maybe. Even if it's not, I think that's just a really good bit of like wordless characterization. Oh, totally, yeah. totally. And I mean, I kind of want to get to, into this conversation more because, for better or worse, this episode doesn't have a whole ton left to it's work true. with. There's a know, lot of so. flashback to a. Uh, Stock footage of Reinhardt and Kirky Eyes' relationship. Yes, this episode has a lot of it. And in the context of when this originally aired, I don't exactly recall how Legend of the Galactic Heroes aired originally, but I suppose if it's been, you know, 20 or so episodes since we last saw, you know, the the foundation of Kirky Eyes and Reinhardt's relationship, maybe it was a good recap for the audience right. at the time. Kirk guys hasn't really been too much of an entity for the past several episodes. Right, that's kind of the other thing. Because at, like, at the start of the Lipstadt League, they basically sent him off to go do stuff. And yeah. did a bunch of stuff off-screen. I guess I guess it's a, it is a good... It's a necessary thing to do. I don't know if the amount of screen time they spend on it is entirely necessary. It could have it been a, perhaps better edited... Yes, yes. I mean, maybe they just literally did not have the time or the budget to do it, but maybe. still, it was a, it's kind of a weird thing, the recaps, because not only is there a lot of them, but I feel like in the past, Legend of the Galactic Heroes kind of 
operated on this assumption that its viewers were not stupid. You right. Know, that people were smart enough to get what they were trying to imply in the subtext. And not only that, but that its viewers would have a good enough memory to understand how important Reinhardt and Kirkyeis' relationship is. Mm-hmm. So in that regard, having this kind of almost weekly Shonen Jump anime adaptation-esque <laughs> flashback... Last time on Bleach. Yeah, Let's it's... Let's recap the entire show for the first <laughs> half of the episode. Right, it's a little uncharacteristic, but nevertheless... Yeah, uh, the next scene kind of after flashback land is what like Reinhardt looking at old like voice recordings of Anne Rose right uh and uh seeing that even she is saying to you know never lose sight of what's important to you and also make sure to talk to Kirky eyes and uh, listen to what he has to say Yes, it's highly convenient voicemails that have been left by Anna Rose that we find Reinhardt listening to. Highly convenient, but also like consistent with what we've seen so far. Yes, totally, totally. But uh, man, in his in his current state, like the one thing he has to say to all of this is, "Oh, I guess my sister values Kirk guys more than me." Yes, Reinhardt has maybe the worst possible takeaway from Anna Rose's voicemails. Which maybe speaks volumes of the current mental state Reinhardt is in. Yeah. You know, to kind of return to the conversation, I think the thing that makes that conversation so impactful is that up until now, Reinhardt has never felt the need to maintain the facade, even in front of Kirky Eyes. Yeah. You know, Kirky Eyes was. He's always the one who could let his guard down in front of, who could talk, speak frankly in front of. Right. It's it's the idea that no matter how hard or how necessary the facade was for Reinhardt to maintain, he always had that form. He always had Kirkyeyes as an outlet, essentially. And the idea of even maintaining this kind of cold, harsh, you know, autocratic relationship with Kirkyeyes, you know, this idea of Kirkyeyes, remember your place. You know, how dare you call me out, Kirky Eyes, even though I literally keep you at my side because I want you to do that, but now I've changed my mind. Yeah. It it speaks volumes to how important Kirky Eyes is, not just, you know, not just for Reinhardt as an emotional linchpin, but also as a voice of, you know, I don't know if reason is the right word, I suppose theoretically Oberstein is supposed to be Reinhardt's voice of reason, but... <laughs> Hmm. I think Kirky Eyes supplies a different type of reason that yeah. is sorely lacking in the rest of Reinhardt's cabinet. He bring he he's he brings the heart, I guess, is the way to put it. Uh right. It's kind of what we've talked about in the past, that Kirky Eyes is the one who thinks about the real human elements of any political action, of any military tactic. Yep, but uh, speaking of voice of reason, Oberstein, he uh, gets an audience with Reinhardt to, yeah, basically, so... to basically say, stop treating Kirky Eyes uh, specially. Stop giving him special treatment. Right, so Oberstein basically shows up and is like, this is unbefitting of a ruler, essentially. You know, which I think is There's quite no room funny. For a number two, <laughs> right, right. You know, it, it, Oberstein says there's no room for a number two, which I think is quite funny considering 
how hard Oberstein <laughs> Oberstein basically right how hard Oberstein is trying to maneuver into that number two spot. Yeah. Uh, additionally, you know, we kind of skipped over it, but before this conversation, we find out that uh, Lichtenlad has essentially discovered that there is a vacuum of power now that the Lipstadt League has been taken down. And- right. Because the Lipstadt League represented the like two other main like lineage candidates for the uh, Kaiser. Right. So with them gone, essentially. Lips, I mean, not Lipstadt, uh, Lichtenlad is the last one still in power. And we hear news that he's decided to clean up loose ends and deal with Reinhardt before he becomes a problem, too. Potentially, at any rate. Yes. And here's the part where now I start to wonder how much of the next, of this episode and the next are actual political machinations of Reinhardt's enemies and how much is Oberstein capitalizing yeah. on an extremely valuable moment. Indeed. So, uh, it's time to meet with the POWs, right? Is that what's coming up next? The POWs? No. Hang on. Uh, Reinhardt's meeting with the, uh, where he calls in all of his admirals. Oh, yeah. So he calls in all the admirals because he, upon hearing the news of Lichtenlad's, you know, sudden and entirely unexpected, you know, supposed betrayal, he calls all his admirals together to discuss, you know, essentially what to do next. Yeah. Including uh, meeting with Admiral Fahrenheit, who basically says, uh, you'll listen to me now, right? And Admiral Fahrenheit says, yep. I'll uh, serve the Empire. And uh, also important is Kirky Eyes is no longer permitted to stand next to Reinhardt in this meeting room. Yes, that is arguably the most impactful and important thing to take away from this scene, is that Reinhardt basically takes Oberstein's advice to distance himself from Kirky Eyes, mm-hmm. put Kirky Eyes back, you know, amongst the ranks of the other admirals that, you know, he commands. And so we have Kirky Eyes on his way to the admiral's meeting where the security tell him, sorry, you can't carry your sidearm anymore. No admiral is allowed to. I was ordered to not make any exceptions. Right. So we kind of see the beginning of the machinations to distance Kirky Eyes from Reinhardt. And then once he actually steps into the throne room, even more notably is Kirky Eyes is not standing by Reinhardt's side. He is, yep. you know... Standing with Bittenfield and, and Mittermeier. Yes. <laughs> the yes, low-class admiral. Right, right. He's sitting with the rest of the class. Mm-hmm. And both of these actions reveal kind of magnitudes about... Like, honestly, what it really reveals to me isn't just the gulf in Kirky Eyes and Reinhardt's relationship, but to me is also how much Reinhardt is listening to Oberstein. Yeah. Like, he was willing to like immediately take this advice. Yeah, it it's definitely an interesting angle, I think, that for all of Reinhardt's talk about, I'm going to be the ruler, I'm going to take over the stars, I will make the universe mine... 
there's a whole lot of listening exclusively to Oberstein's advice that we're kind of seeing in these last couple of episodes. And in all fairness, from Reinhardt's standpoint, Man, it could ruler be... A ruler should surround himself with smart people. Yes, but not only that, but it's also because Oberstein is getting results. Yeah. Maybe not... Maybe not through the nicest of methods, but he is getting results for Reinhardt. Yeah. Which, theoretically, Kirkyaz is doing too by winning all those dang yeah. battles. Honestly, but... like, Oberstein making this uh, statement right now is, like, the perfect time to make it because Reinhardt is already upset and emotional about Kirkyaz. So, like, yes. Oberstein coming in and saying, demote him, basically. Right. Uh, demote him in your heart. Yeah, I <laughs> yes, demote him in his heart. That's a very good, uh, very good analogy for it. One of the last takeaways I want to mention before we get to the final scene of this episode is, despite this gulf, Kirkyai still believes in yes, Reinhardt. There, there is. We that. have Kirkyai thinking to himself that, okay, Reinhardt's maybe not himself right now. Maybe he's kind of a little stressed out, but I know Reinhardt. He's my friend. We've known each other for years. Been this through this. You know, he'll yeah. he'll he'll come around. I just have to wait, and uh, <laughs> won't be waiting that long. Yeah, uh, not so, not a uh, whole ton of time to wait because. So Reinhard uh, meets with Ansbach, the Brown Prince Braunschweig's like number two man who swore after pouring poison wine into Braunschweig's mouth that uh he would. Send Reinhardt to hell. Indeed. So he wheels in, uh, you know, Braunschweig's preserved corpse. Which is hell of a weird gift to bring to to anybody, really. Well, bring me the heads Bring me the heads yes. of my enemies. Yes, I suppose so, but... Look, <laughs> once we once this scene happens, you know, we should just get into the scene so I can start to nitpick it. Oh, yeah. So Ansbach shows up with Braunschweig's corpse. Everybody's like, oh, hey, look, it's Braunschweig's corpse. That's funny. And then Ansbach starts to dig through the corpse's torso yeah, cavity. opens it up, like casually just, opens it up. Yeah, like in. it's a freaking duffel bag. And then whips out a fucking bazooka. Yeah, this like square looking rocket tube. Yeah, just this motherfucking space bazooka that he somehow managed to fit in Braunschweig's apparently very cavernous chest cavity. <laughs> it's... <laughs> stuck in there. I, I mean, these guys are supposed to be POWs. I don't know how he smuggled like that in, let alone yeah. what's coming next. Yeah, it's... It's a whole lot. It's... And the first time... Seeing it for the first time is just... It's so hard to even comprehend initially because... I was expecting some kind of setup. I was expecting I was some right. kind of trap. When he's but bringing that, ex- like, that corpse in on a cart, I'm like, there's something there. Let's, of there's, course, there's probably totally. a bomb or something. Yeah, but... like I expected like a bomb or like maybe he hid a gun in there, like a, a, a pistol. Yes. But no, a fucking bazooka. <laughs> like, uh, it's so much. Oh my gosh. Like, we'll get into this later, but it seems the FPA is not the only one that needs to work on their security detail because but, uh, yeah. how one gets a fucking bazooka into the throne room of Grand Admiral Reinhard von Lohengrom perhaps is worth questioning. <laughs> and uh, he gets a shot off. 
Yeah, and that's Pulls the that end. trigger. Yeah, and the episode ends right there on the biggest cliffhanger possible. <laughs> yeah, I think this is the one time we like straight up just had to go into the next episode. Yes, uh, yes, we made the executive decision this time to just roll right into the next episode because it was just such an absurd, totally unexpected way to end that episode. And, you know, there were a lot of flashbacks, so really it was like half of an episode. Also that, too. Not exactly the most jam-packed episode. But, man, can we just... <laughs> can we just talk about the logistics of smuggling a bazooka right. as your assassination like, weapon of choice? Pull a lot of stuff out of that corpse. Right, that like, there. if the corpse is that big or that hollow... Why didn't you just fucking stuff it full of space C4 or Zephyr particles or literally anything other than a bazooka? <laughs> like, bazooka sends a statement, man. <laughs> I mean, it does, but you know what also sends a statement? Like a machine bombs. gun or a yes. bomb or... Battle like, axe, crossbow. Or, yeah, anything, literally anything. Like, let's just say, okay, let's say Anspach is fucking mastermind genius on Spock here is like, okay, I gotta avenge my lord. I gotta kill Reinhardt. How am I gonna do this? He reaches into the chest cavity, pulls out a bottle of wine. <laughs> <laughs> I brought you uh, some wine, my lord. Uh, it's, it's just, okay. So let's say Onsbach's like, shit, I can only fit a bazooka-sized item inside uh, of this chest right, cavity. It's just what do I pick? Inventory puzzle. <laughs> Right, like, if it's a, yes, yes, like a Resident Evil inventory puzzle. It's like, okay, I got 16 squares to work with. What do I fit in here? Do I fit in, I don't know, 16 grenades? No, how about just uh, a bazooka? Not, 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 not a gun. <laughs> like, you could have fit, like, at least three handguns in there, man. Yeah. You could have, like, been double fist and pistols yeah. at Reinhardt. Just Kimbo the whole room. Yeah, Spin in like, a circle, pull the trigger. Yeah, I mean, shit, I know you want to kill Reinhardt, but why don't you just fucking kill everybody? Again, just rig that whole body with bombs, because, look, if your excuse is, oh, but it'll get it'll get caught by the security detail, apparently fucking not, because you thought a bazooka <laughs> was going to work, and it did. Yeah, exactly. <sighs> uh. It's... Even... Even in the episodes that are, I was going to say less dramatic, but that's not even the right word. Even even in the episodes of Legend of the Galactic Heroes that are less exciting, somehow the Empire, especially the Empire, <laughs> manages to find up ways to ratchet up the melodrama oh, yeah. in the most unbelievable ways possible. So it does, I, I did think this after watching the episode, that maybe security was... Compromise somehow. Yes. Because, because of what immediately follows. Well, that's a thing. I, I was going to save that conversation for uh, for Later. 26 because right. there are a number of things that happened in episode 26 that make All this right. worth bringing it up. Well, so, as we move into episode 26. So, uh, yes, let's just roll right into episode 26. So, yeah. we, we jump back in just after Onsbox fired off a shot, but we don't know... We don't know what the target was. Who could it be? Probably it Reinhard. Reinhard. Spoilers, it was at Reinhard. Uh, but the shot goes wide. Yes, it just hits a fucking wall next to the throne, right behind... Behind the throne. Yes, like right behind Reinhard. And 
You know, look, I get it. Maybe video games don't exist in Legend of the Galactic <laughs> Heroes, but come on, man. Everybody knows that when you get the rocket launcher, you aim at the feet. Yep. I mean, and you, you probably let was the splash aiming damage. At the feet. Oh, I don't and, know, uh, man. You that angle in that last shot—it looks like he's aiming pretty high. I feel like I feel like Oddsbach was making—he's standing lower than Reinhardt. Oh, I don't know. I think Oddsbach was making a rookie mistake. I think he was sure. like trying to aim for Reinhardt's torso or his head he was, or something. He was nervous after digging through a corpse. Look, I'm just saying. Everybody knows rockets don't do location-specific damage. You always let the splash damage finish him off. It's true, but. And maybe Ansbach would have known this if Quake or Doom existed in Legend of the Galactic uh, Heroes, but all right. perhaps, thankfully, it did not because the shot goes wide, and we find out Kirky eyes. Kirky it was Kirky Eyes jumping in with a save. Yeah, standing uh, close enough to uh, run in and push that thing out of the way and struggle with Ansbach. Unfortunately, that bazooka was not Ansbach's only weapon. In fact, Ansbach arguably had an even better assassination yeah. weapon than the bazooka as his backup, which is this fucking crazy laser ring, which he just yeah, used. Just like punches Kirky eyes in the chest. And then blasts the fucking shit out of him. Yeah. So like my quick and dirty explanation for why this like this was surely something that small. Why was the ring the backup? Right. Although, like, it probably only has charge for one or two shots. That's all I got. That's all I can make up on the fly. Look, before we get into the real unyielding tragedy of this episode, <laughs> I just want to iterate again. The ring, way better Unbook assassination has a killer, weapon. Unbook has a, like, it's actually clandestine killer laser gun uh, on his hand that nobody noticed. That like conceivably, I could see security not noticing, but also <laughs> pull this bazooka. Out he of opted corpse. for the bazooka. It's like, oh man, it's like when you have two guns in a shooter. You have like the regular gun, gun, and then you have the rocket launcher with one ammo, and you use the rocket launcher on like the weakest, most basic on, enemy. On like a head crab. <laughs> yes, yeah, so on like a head crab at point blank. And you somehow uh. still miss. <laughs> look, I'm not. <laughs> look, I look. I guess I'm broadly happy that the assassination attempt failed. But I'm just saying, on Spock, you could have like, you could have like gone up there and pretended to shake hands with Reinhardt. You yeah. could have patted Aim. him on the back. You could have like been like, "Hey, Reinhardt, bro, fist, dude, let's do it." You could have, <laughs> you could have done so many things to get within. Point blank distance yeah. of right hard. Like, I get it. It's way harder to aim a ring than a bazooka. Then again, is it? Like, at at the distance he was shooting... Your fists. Yeah. Look, they already do the Sieg Heil in the Empire. I'm just saying, yeah. Ansbach could have done a whole... The old Sieg Reinhard and, like, fucking blasted him with that laser ring. Yeah, he totally could have. But... Alas, instead he plots Kirky eyes. Yes, instead he fucking kind of brutally right blasts the, the shit out of yeah in the chest and then in the neck. Yeah, like the second shot just slices Kirky eyes' neck open. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's it's a rightfully stunning moment because uh, the other admirals jump in and restrain Ansbach, but but it's too Kirk little, too eyes late. Is on the ground. Yeah, we uh. 
we have Kirky Eyes quickly bleeding out on the floor, um, having just saved Reinhardt's life, and yep. And I'm just just gonna just saying like if you had a sidearm, yeah, could have could have shut on Spock. Yes, just... I think very like. I I don't know. Do we want to get into do we want to get into the Oberstein conspiracy stuff now, or do we want to wait till the after the end of the episode and we can compile all the shady shit <laughs> all Oberstein right, does right. this we, episode? We can, wait, we can go save to the end. All right, we're gonna save our we're gonna save our tribunal of Oberstein for the end of this episode. So <laughs> tragically, uh, tragically, Perky uh, yeah. uh dies here in. What is a kind of stunning? Yeah, didn't see this coming. um, Maybe I did. Moment. (laughs) For the record, I don't think it was on a recorded podcast. Perhaps it was a post-episode discussion that we were having. Totally called it. Yes, I will. I I will corroborate here. I said, "What if Kirky Eyes eats it?" And you said, "No way." (laughs) Look, I did not say no way. I know. I did not. (laughs) To defend myself, I broadly agree. That Kirk guys was going to die eventually. I feel oh, like yeah, that totally. was inevitable because yes, narratively, absolutely. if Reinhardt too useful, yes, because if Reinhardt is to truly become the monster, I f- I feel like he is guaranteed to become. Not only did Kirk guys have to die, but Kirk guys had to be removed from the equation because there is no Kirk guys being the good moral soul that he is if he does not oppose Reinhardt once Reinhardt starts to go down the slippery slope. Yep. And your options there were either for Kirky Eyes to defect and join the FPA, which, unlike Murkats, I I could never see no, Kirky Eyes doing Kirky that. Eyes because is too much personal loyalty for right, that. He's too loyal. So then your other option is, you know, to kill Kirky Eyes. So I thought I thought they would I thought they would save this for like the end of season two. Right. Not too I did long. not expect them to pull the trigger this soon on Kirky Eyes. I I think I literally said to Eero here, I don't think they're going to pull some fucking Game of Thrones shit on Kirky Eyes. <laughs> I was wrong. They totally pulled some fucking Game of Thrones uh, shit on Kirky Eyes. We were actually like shouting at the screen. Yeah, it was... I mean, it's... We we watched it a few days ago. We've had some time to to internalize it, but... Yeah, kind of the kind of the first big death of Legend of the Galactic Heroes. Yeah, not and not not to like discount Jessica, but she was more of a side character. Yes, of course, not to discount Jessica's death, but Kirky Eyes is. I mean, let's be honest. In terms of like yeah. his 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 impact, he was the like, like third most important character in this. Yes, show. yes, totally. And I mean, up till now. Reinhardt and Kirky Eyes, that's an inseparable duo. It's not yeah. just Reinhard von Lohengram, it's Reinhard von Lohengram and Siegfried Kirky Eyes. Yeah. And but also I think in Grand Legend of the Galactic Heroes tradition, this is the story understanding that with Westerland, they have crossed a line that they cannot go back right. and they have introduced an entirely new status quo. And that status quo that status quo for the Empire, that status quo for who Reinhardt is now, yep. that can no longer exist in yeah. conjunction with Kirky Eyes as he is. Something up till that now. Kirky Eyes could just not abide by. Right. So, and, yeah. you know, we kind of have Kirky Eyes, you know, giving his last words to Reinhardt, which is. Uh, 
was it make the universe yours? Please win the universe and yes, tell please, Lady, w- please tell Lady on Rose that I kept I kept my promise. Yeah, I mean, you know, Kurkia is a true true brother to the end. Yeah. Except uh, his promise was to like keep Reinhardt on the right path, wasn't it? And so, oh boy. Yeah, I mean, there are as tragic as Kirkyaz's death is here. You could argue that maybe there was some bad wording here in our yeah, probably our, our our very close friends' final moments. You know, I feel like look, I I don't want to tell Kirkyaz what he should say in his dying moments. I'm just saying, if I were Kirky Eyes, and I was bleeding out, and I had Reinhardt's ear one last time, I'd right. say to Reinhardt, don't be a dick! Yeah. Or something. <laughs> don't right. don't kill exactly. people, don't kill kids! Whatever you do, Reinhardt! Don't shoot your own dude. Whatever you do, Reinhardt, promise me, you won't murder <laughs> children. That's highly specific. We'll get to that later. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so... With with Kirky Eyes gone, kind of things are kind of thrown into a disarray for everybody else. We yep. have a Ansbach, meeting amongst uh, uh, Ansbach, by the way, like takes his poison pill that he had. Yes. So cannot be questioned. Yeah, yeah. And uh we have a meeting with the remaining admirals, basically, uh specifically Sans Oberstein, basically discussing Right. Okay, what do we do next? This is weird. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. What do we do? How do we make uh, make Reinhard von Lohengram recover? I mean, there's kind of a kind of a darkly humorous aspect to the admirals meeting, essentially saying, "Okay, so Reinhard's best friend is dead. He's very sad. He cannot be very sad. We need him to do stuff. How do we cheer him up?" <laughs> How do we cheer him up? Mittermeier, d- d- do those funny impressions you're, you're always known for. Or Royenthal, uh, start breakdancing or something. <laughs> it's... Uh, Bittenfield, you know how to juggle, don't you? <laughs> it's just, yeah, there, it's, there's definitely like this panicked aspect of these admirals, they are deeply loyal to Reinhardt because of the man Reinhardt projects himself to be. But there's also kind of this very real aspect to this conversation where everybody knows how special Kirky Eyes was to Reinhardt. Maybe they were not maybe they were never there to listen to their conversations. Maybe they never fully grasped like how vital Kirky Eyes was to keeping Reinhardt on the relatively autocratic straight and narrow. But, sure. but but they are very aware that he was he was important. Yes. And there's nobody who could replace Kirky Eyes. And, yes. And things have taken a very dark turn. And we kind of have Royenthal and Mittermeier kind of taking up the kind of pseudo-leadership spot for the Admirals. Yeah. They're kind of at the head of the table. I do like Ro- how uh, they did not invite Overstein to his meeting. And then someone's like, shouldn't we ask Overstein what, what to do? Yeah, yeah, and then the admirals are kind of like everyone's, everyone's like that one. He kind of was caused some of this, but also, I guess we should ask him. I mean, yeah, there's definitely an aspect of fuck no, I hate Oberstein, but also shit, Oberstein's the smartest of us. Yeah, but I do want to bring up. I do think this conversation is important because it speaks to these. It speaks to the idea that once again, 
people in Legend of the Galactic Heroes, kind of like real life, kind of like history, people are rarely willfully stupid. Right. When bad things happen to people in history, it's usually not just because they're stupid and they make bad decisions. It's because of a variety of external factors and some internal factors as well, as well that contribute overall to a situation that becomes un- unavoidable. Yeah. And the admirals here aren't stupid, right? They're not, at least they're, they're not willfully stupid at first. They understand that something is really fishy here. And I think Roy Anthel, he doesn't go as far as accuse Oberstein of, you know, being behind this or anything, but he, he Royenthal very quickly surmises that Oberstein will capitalize on this as soon as possible. Yeah, somehow. Like, even if Oberstein didn't actually cause Kirkyeyes' death, he will capitalize on this situation to the maximum of his capability. And fucking speak of the devil, because then, like, a soldier walks in, is like, uh, by the way, Oberstein's here. He wants to see you all. Uh. And... Here's kind of where we see, I think, what I personally think is the indications that mm-hmm. Oberstein is far more aware of, he's far more aware than he's letting on to both the Admirals and Reinhard. What Oberstein does is he joins the meeting of the Admirals and he kind basically just takes charge. Like, yeah, he takes, not only does he take charge of the situation, but he immediately. Manu- maneuvers to use Lichtenlad as the fall guy. Yeah. Like, like he says the, the the only person who would be uh, trying to take Reinhardt's life right now is Lichtenlad. Probably sees this as a rival and he's uh, trying to eliminate us so he has consolidated all the power on himself. Right. Which and- like is true on some level like if Lichtenlad wanted to do that it would be a totally logical action. Yes, I think what what is making what makes Oberstein's actions here so devious is he I mean, again, the Oberstein equals Kissinger analogy <laughs> working here, where Oberstein understands real politic and he understands that the best lies have a kernel of truth in them. It would be easy enough to maybe we'll get and start to get into this. It would be easy enough for Oberstein to kill Kirkyeyes if that was his only goal. If it was just to get Kirkyeyes out of the way once and for all, that's a simple enough thing to do. You know, killing a single person is... Killing a single person, if you don't care about the consequences, as Ansbach shows, well, (laughs) as Ansbach almost showed, remarkably easy. Mm -hmm. Killing a person and then getting away with it and then making it benefit you... Very difficult. That's a lot more difficult. And I think what... Oberstein does here masterfully is not only does he get everybody on his side to, you know, rush back to Odin to deal with Lichtenlad, but he completely sidesteps any accusations or suspicions from the other admirals. I mean, yeah, Reinthal straight up like asks like, this c- couldn't this be a false accusation they are making on Lichtenlad? And then Oberstein just keeps talking and doesn't answer that question. Right. Like, I I think this is a very notable and again. I, I feel like conversations like these are a test from Legend of the Galactic Heroes to see <laughs> how close its viewers are paying attention. Because here's the thing. Because of the way Legend of the Galactic Heroes is, or has framed itself, has communicated with its audience, I could easily see 
I could easily see them purposely writing the conversation so that every time Royenthal lobs like either an accusation or a suspicion at Oberstein, the way he just kind of verbally rolls over it and continues on with the subject at hand while ignoring, essentially ignoring Royenthal's questions. Yeah. On one hand, I could almost see that being Legend of Galactic Heroes' very, very subtle way of trying to already make you distrust Oberstein even more. Mm-hmm. But I could also see it being something that they want to kind of just seed for now, and then later they'll properly reveal it as a twist, if that makes sense. Yeah, I could see that. But, but he still but yeah, like gets all the admirals to go along with his plan to uh, just fly back to Odin and uh, like basically take over what remains of uh, the government. Yes, yes, for... For all the talk of Reinhardt gloriously defending the Empire against these outstart coups, the rebellion essentially ends with Reinhardt starting his own coup, so... <laughs> but just a much faster and cleaner one, I guess. I mean, with all the possible opposition taken out at this point, you yeah. know, yep. not a whole lot left to stop you. So everyone just straight up flies back to Odin, uh, like lands their ships at the capital there's some great shots of like old style banners and castles with just big spaceships flying right over them uh and yeah just like arrest Lichtenlaud uh for allegedly making an assassination attempt on Reinhard yeah it's straight up say we don't need proof yeah basically I mean I you start to see some very dark turns in not only not only are you starting to see these dark turns in Reinhard, but you are starting to see some of these dark turns in the people who follow Reinhard. Yeah. Mittermeier specifically drops a line yes. essentially saying that authority is for those who wield power. That is like literally fascism 101. Empire's always been uh basically fascist so right but what i mean is that this is the same mittermeier who ostensibly at the end of the lipstadt rebellion remember when they're like walking through branch uh, geiersburg and they're tying up all the nobles and mittermeier is saying to Royenthal, like yeah the old era is done for it's time for the new era where right. we're gonna be in power and we're gonna make it right bye and yeah (laughs) and like no less than like two episodes later Mittermeier is dropping like again fascism 101 it's Uh, it's a damn shame because I kind of liked Mittermeier I thought he was maybe my favorite of the non Kirkyai's admirals mm. but I don't know this is dark turn Mittermeier yeah but but yeah, so basically uh, the admirals yeah. kind of, yeah, they land on Odin, Cap- take over the whole Odin. thing, yeah. and uh, Reinhardt is made the next, uh, I don't know, what was, what was Lichtenlaut's position again? Like, uh, Grand like, Chancellor uh, or some shit? Something along those lines. Uh, I was going to say Marquis, but no, that's just his noble rank. Uh, I mean, essentially, the title is the Vizier. <laughs> like, that's what it really is, right? It, it is, like, but... <laughs> but I don't remember what the actual title is. No, no, so until we remember the name, we're going to call that position Space Vizier. So Reinhardt becomes the Space Vizier. 
Oh, minister, sure. Eh, same damn thing. Imperial prime minister. Sure, imperial prime vizier. <laughs> so, with all that taken care of, we yep. finally have Oberstein talking, you know, basically the first person to talk to Reinhardt ever since Kirkiaz's death yeah. is predictably Oberstein. And he basically says, hey, we captured Odin, also I talked to your sister. I told your sister that Kirkiaz is dead, and... Predictably, Reinhardt doesn't take it very well, but also, I feel like this is an aspect of Reinhardt here. The part where he kept putting off telling Anna Rose about Kirkiaz's fate, mm-hmm. that I feel like is a glimpse of that Reinhardt that we see every now and then. You know, the same Reinhardt who's like, I don't want to go to the prince's birthday. <laughs> the, like, child Reinhardt. Yeah, the like very childish, kind of petulant Reinhard. Except it's kind of more tragic here. It's the well, if I don't tell her, it didn't happen. Yes, yes. There's that aspect of Reinhard that is essentially doing the thing that six year old kids do. Of if I don't say it, and if I don't admit it, it basically never happened, right? Which uh... I don't know. The fact that that is Reinhard's coping method. Again, I'm not going to say Reinhard is mentally immature or anything, but I think it does start to say some things about Reinhardt's mindset without that guiding, that, sorry, that guiding influence of Kirky eyes. Yeah. But. Yeah, no, Stein tells him, stop looking at the past, look towards the future. Also, by the way, don't have number twos, but yep. by the way, I'll always be your number two. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, but, uh, so we have, yeah. uh, Reinhardt and Anna Rose to, uh, I have a heart-to-heart. And Rose says, oh, I see. Now you have nothing left to lose. Yeah, it's a, honestly kind of a harsh... Kind of a harsh conversation from Anna Rose, I feel. Yep. Uh, uh, yeah, a bit. <laughs> yes. Like, again, not that I'm saying that it's not out of character, especially the way this conversation finally ends, but I guess I had always taken Anna Rose to be that kind of, like, generic anime caring older sister type yes. character who is always going to like pure and be there and you know wonderful. pure and innocent and you know the kind of person that Pat ran around know, the head yeah and like let him cry in her lap or something but she honestly gets kind of real here where i mean as you said she tells reinhard that oh there kind of goes your last the last thing yep. you truly cared about other than me now it's just us two. And, and uh, maybe we should stop talking. Yeah, while. kind of. It's a little weird here where Anna Rose is like, maybe... Almost a breakup. <laughs> yeah, maybe we need to spend some time apart from each other. And here's the thing. I don't... I feel like the subtext I'm actually getting from that is... Obviously, Anna Rose is super broken up about Kirky Eyes' death. Yes. Like, we don't need to have that, like, cliche scene of her... Crying a and tear falling from her eyes, you know, threatening to throw herself from the balcony in grief. <laughs> you know, that's sort of like melodramatic thing, but obviously this hurts her because because mm-hmm. here's the thing: we don't need to see the scenes because like here's the difference because between we know I think, that's happening. Like, yes, and to get to that, I feel like this that's the difference between episodes twenty six and twenty five. Twenty five felt like it had to use all these recaps to explain Kirky Eyes and Reinhardt's relationship. Whereas I feel like 26 is confident enough in its viewers that it doesn't need to explicitly spell out Kirky Eyes and Anna Rose's relationship, how much they cared for each other. Mm-hmm. You know, when Reinhardt says, did you love Kirky Eyes? And, you know, we don't see her answer. I don't think we, re- we really need to see the answer. 
regardless right. of whether she says yes or no, it, you know, regardless of the love was romantic or platonic. Yeah. Something is still there. Like, yeah, and we, obviously... We know that the grief is there. We don't need to necessarily see it explosively. Exactly, and I don't think Anna Rose is the kind of person who would blame Reinhardt for Kirkiaz's death, but also I think Anna Rose's motivation to separate from Reinhardt is also a desire to sequester herself away from just everything related to Kirkiaz, yeah. because, but you know... On some of also, she, I think she also knows that, like... Reinhardt will try to latch on her on some level, like yeah. an emotional level in this time of grief for him. I mean, yes, because here's the thing, right? Reinhardt has essentially gotten as far as he has because he had two emotional crutches, Anna Rose and Kirky Eyes. Mm-hmm. Now that one of them's gone, the other kind of sees the writing on the wall and... Gets out a dog. Yeah, yeah. Because, and, and here's the thing, maybe it's some tough love. Maybe she realizes that, <clears> oh... If I stick around, Reinhardt's going to develop a really unhealthy dependence on me, isn't he? Yeah. And so Not good for either of us. Yeah. So that is that is one thing I do want to bring up the like difference between now Reinhardt's situation of he has nobody to lean on really uh in that sense whereas before like obviously he had Kirky eyes and Enrose on some level. But now he has to be full on like Galactic Emperor. Yes. Perfect I, God. I, I, Whereas uh, Yang has kind of engendered a situation where he can be frank and open about all of this stuff with basically his entire team. Totally, totally. I mean, uh, do we want to just jump to that conversation now and then we'll get back to the rest of this episode? That's basically the rest of this episode. Well, it? no, because, I mean, we haven't even got to the part where Reinhardt starts killing kids. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, spoilers! Speaking speaking of Reinhardt as, like, now having to present himself as an unstoppable ruler, uh, Reinhardt's like, so what do we do with Lichtenlaw's family, since we've captured all of them? And uh, Reinhardt says, well, we can't just sentence the Prime Minister to death, offer him suicide. Which, yeah, I don't know, kind of the same thing. <laughs> basically the same thing. I mean, it's, look, we've seen it's a enough... semantic quote, difference. I mean, yes, we've seen enough quote-unquote suicides in the Empire to know exactly what Reinhardt is implying. And then, as if you hadn't doubted that Reinhardt has finally, fully, you know, not just gone down the slippery slope, but done a fucking, like... Put some skis on. And... Yeah, put some skis on, and is, like, trying to go for a jump, is... Yeah is Royanthal's like, okay, well, what do we do with his family? And he's like, exile the women and kill all the men above the age of 10. And Royanthal's like, the men above 10? And Reinhardt just, you know, oh so helpfully explains, well, I was 10 when I joined the military academy. So clearly 10 years old is the age at which you've made the important decisions in your life. So kill all... All of them over 10. The men above the age of 10. Yeah. You know, I see, I think, I think some of you, you know, it's a great, Boy. you know, great opportunity to call back to one of our old podcast titles. Oberstein would totally shoot a kid. Turns out no, we were wrong. Reinhard, yeah, Reinhardt would totally shoot a kid or order kids to be shot, which is the yes. same thing. Yes, it's totally the same thing. Yes, even if Reinhardt's not pulling the trigger, he's making the command. And, you know, it's... <sighs> I think I've shed shed plenty of blood for now. I'll shed a more in the future, he says. 
yeah yeah it's it's really a the I lack of Anna Rose and the lack of Kirkyas I think from here on out we've kind of approached a new and kind of scary status quo for Reinhardt yeah, as a character we were wondering what the status quo would be if after just putting down these coup, coup de yeah cause, like but, uh, I mean I think I you guys have all is. yeah like you guys who've been listening you know have probably heard me repeatedly say you know Oh, Reinhardt hasn't lost enough in this war. Like he hasn't suffered enough like Yang has. <laughs> I apologize. I'm sure all of you were just kind of waiting for this episode to happen. I think Reinhardt has now officially lost basically everything. <laughs> <laughs> like other than like his complete and total political power. I mean, well, well yes, well that's a thing. Of course, of course Reinhardt hasn't lost everything. Yes. Reinhardt is now more powerful than he's ever been. But again, but at he's what things cost? that he truly cares about. Like uh. here's the thing. Reinhardt wants to be the Kaiser or whatever so bad, but the part of me that feels bad for Reinhardt is the part of me that thinks that Reinhardt would trade away all this power in an instant if it meant bringing back Kirky Eyes. Right. Yes. Like like, Kirky Eyes is truly, and, you know, now I kind of understand the Fujoshi fascination with Reinhardt and Kirky Eyes, because their relationship really is so special. Like, as much yeah. as I love Yang Wenli, and as much as I love the friendliness he, he extends to all of his comrades, there truly is nothing on that level of what Reinhardt and Kirky Eyes had, and... To take that away from him, it's heartbreak. It's like it's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking, and it will forever, it will forever mark Reinhard for the rest of the series. He will never be the same. <laughs> and in some ways, I have to admit, once again, bravo, Legend of the Galactic Heroes. You have, you have so dramatically changed the status quo in ways <laughs> that I could have never predicted. That uh... again, twenty six episodes. <laughs> Yeah, we're there's a lot more left. We have a lot of Legend of Galactic Heroes left, and a lot of it is not going to have Kirky eyes. Yeah, I'm really surprised. Uh, <laughs> I I feel like I read stuff before we began this entire project, and uh, before we watched D and T. Even I feel like I saw people talking about Kirky eyes in such a way that made me naturally assume he would be there for the majority of the show. Yeah, well, let's well, let's not get into speculation territory just right, yet. Yeah. We're going to save that for the second portion of this podcast. Yes. But uh, let's just cap off the end of this episode so we can kind of get into our final thoughts here. So we finally cut back to Yang Wenli kind of doing his Yang Wenli thing of, you know, chilling out on the bridge, thinking about politics as he is wont to do. Uh-huh. And specifically we see that Yang Wenli talks about how scared he is. Yes. How genuinely frightened he is of just how fragile the FPA's democracy is now that Job Trunick is more powerful than ever. What good is a democracy if it gives power to men like that? Exactly. It's It really speaks to this idea of like, Yang just, tr he truly believes in democracy. He truly wants to believe in the system. And that is why people like Job Trunick scare him so much, because democracy, maybe just as easily as dictatorships, are so easy to corrupt, are so easy yeah. to abuse and take advantage of. It only takes one guy like Job Trunick 
to totally invalidate all the good of democracy. And Yang yeah. Wenli is so aware of this. Yeah. And he kind of has a great line here that I think... I, th- I mean, obviously he's saying this in relation to Reinhard, but... Mm-hmm. Young basically says that men who are ambitious and horrible often tend to be so out of a sense of duty to the human race. Right. That he says, uh... Rudolf, both Rudolph, who founded the Empire, and the, the NSMC, who, like, you know, took over the FBA and caused so much pain and suffering, were both, like, completely convinced of themselves that what they were doing was the right thing. Right. And I think, I think that statement in particular is going to echo far into Legend of the Galactic Heroes, especially with Reinhard. Because I think without Kirky Eyes, without that moral, you know, that, that moral guidance... It's only going to push Reinhard further into, I have to make the Empire great. I have to conquer the stars. because for Kirky Eyes. Not only for Kirky Eyes, but now there's this aspect that I'm sure is going to gnaw at Reinhard. That if he fails, then... What will it wh- have been for? Why did Kirky Eyes have to die then? Right. Like, if he does not succeed in taking over the galaxy, then in his mind, Kirky Eyes' death will have been in vain. And... That is a very dangerous mindset to have, and one that I am endlessly curious about where it's going to take our characters. Indeed. And we also get well, one final like interlude of Fezan of uh basically um uh Agent Rubinsky send in some send in Boris Konev to spy on the Alliance and sending his like old number two to uh Spy on Reinhardt, I guess. I mean, come on, whatever. Fucking yeah. <laughs> Look, I mean, like spoilers. Fazan plotting yeah. sneaky shit. Like, exactly. I, look, I'm not discounting that part of the episode. I'm just saying. Yes. Fazan is arguably Fazan. <laughs> like Fazan gonna Fazan, basically. Yep. It's. I will say, I will say, a, a brief weird speculation. I kind of am curious about what direction they're going to take with Boris Konev's character, because... Mm-hmm. They say only, he knew young as a child, or something. Not only that, but Boris obviously does not seem into the idea of spying on young. Yeah. So, I'm very curious how that's going to unfold, because as we've kind of seen with Bagdashu, young's pretty good at turning spies against their masters, and <laughs> I'm curious what direction yeah. that will take. But... But yeah, with that kind of done, we kind of have Reinhardt's final thoughts alone. Truly alone. Yeah. Basically alone with only... It's... Himself. Yeah, with himself and truly only himself. You know, I mean, we've, we've said it a million times this podcast, but maybe the greatest tragedy for Reinhardt is when he's alone, he's truly alone now. There, there are no more secret confidants. There are no more emotional crushes. Reinhardt has to be in God Emperor mode twenty four seven essentially, and you know I'm very curious what that's what's that going to do to his mindset. You know, you know, I mean, you know, you have that candle line of you wear the mask long enough, you become the mask. But mm-hmm. I truly do wonder how long Reinhardt can hold on to who he was while still maintaining the facade before he loses himself in it. You know, luckily Reinhardt is 
a very emotionally stable person and is already oh looking for new emotional crutches, and he finds one in our friend Yang Wen Li, right. where he basically Yay. fixates on Yang here at the very end, saying, Yang Wen Li, will you be a good friend or a strong enemy? I just As long as you quench the thirst in my heart, it doesn't matter. <laughs> Which... Oh, talk about, you know, talk about crazy exes, but. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, when you say, well, end on a montage of everyone who's perished in the past 26 episodes. Yeah, a surprising number of people, actually. (laughs) Like, even if I don't remember all their names, it's, uh, you know, the. A lot of people die. Yeah, you know, the wheel of fate keeps turning. And uh, that ends... Another, another page in the history of the galaxy. Yeah. And so, that ends episode 26 of Legend oh. of the Galactic Heroes and the first and season. season one, yeah. It's... It's a lot. It's a lot to take in. I, uh... I have a couple topics here that I was writing that I wondered if we want to talk about or if maybe we want to save that for the next section. Um... Are they, Let me see here. This ep- are they closer related to these two episodes? Or are they closer related to the season as a whole? Still need to you know do what? the Tribunal of Oberstein. <laughs> yes, you know what? All right, yes. We need to talk about this. The Tribunal of Oberstein. Yes, thank you for reminding me. This is important. I apologize to everybody listening out there. This Once we throw on the second section of this podcast, this might be a long podcast. You know, take breaks. So, Oberstein. Oberstein... These last two episodes, Oberstein, One shady motherfucker, Oberstein, the whole last ten episodes <laughs> has been kind of a shady motherfucker, but he really ratcheted it up in this last few episodes, and the conclusion that Iro and I kind of started to arrive at by the end of episode twenty six is, what if Oberstein knew about the assassination attempt? Or yeah, he had Hauptmann on the inside of the Lipstyle League. Yeah, like. or or even more darkly, what if Oberstein orchestrated the assassination attempt? Right. So my logic here was basically, Kirky Eyes goes in to meeting, and there's this whole scene about how security is has increased enough that Kirky Eyes, High Admiral Siegfried Kirky Eyes, can no longer bring his sidearm in to a. Uh, to see Reinhardt. Yes. And also, like, because Oberstein talked to Reinhardt uh, and, like, convinced him to lower Kirkyeyes' standing, you know, Kirkyeyes is now standing below and not next to Reinhardt. But also, Point. yes, if the security is increased, how does Unzbuck smuggle in two weapons, including a bazooka? One of which is a spear. <laughs> yes! <laughs> So, uh, look, maybe we're going to look real foolish in a couple months, but I think we at least are convinced that if Oberstein did not at least orchestrate the assassination attempt, he was at least in some way complicit in it happening. Yeah. Like, now you're going to say, gosh, Oberstein really took a risk on letting Ansbach smuggle in two weapons to kill Reinhard, <laughs> because, look... If your plan hinges on Kirkyai stopping the assassination, what if he's not fast enough, right? Like, right. What if he doesn't stop the assassination in time? Then good going. You just got, you know, your lord killed. But 
Also, this is Oberstein we're talking uh, about. Oberstein has seen the gun in, gun skill, the fighting skills of Roenthal and Mittermeier firsthand so, when they saved Anna Rose. Yeah. So. Well, I think the, th- the way I eventually come down on it is Oberstein is just... Or, or here's the, the other way I approach it is not that, oh, Oberstein was such a convoluted, crazy genius. Oh, no. That he somehow orchestrated this extremely convoluted plan to get Kirk Eyes assassinated when there were probably simpler ways to, like, politically discredit him. I don't know. He saw an but, opportunity and took it. But what I'm thinking is... The other way, I, I want to approach it, you know, let's, you know, let's do a little ace attorney here. Let's reverse the mentality. Would Oberstein be short, not short-sighted? Would Oberstein really let security get that lax? Would Oberstein ever let somebody smuggle in a weapon? I feel like Oberstein is too smart. He's too competent to let a plan like that get that as get as far as it did. Right. Like, this is Oberstein we're talking about. Oberstein who, you know, we're not going to get to. At least in the OVA, orchestrates the Westerland stuff. Right. Sends Oberstein back to Lipstadley. Yes, yes. This is the same Oberstein that lets Ovlisser return to the League to sow even more uh, descent. This is the same Oberstein that immediately manipulates the rest of the Admirals to arrest uh, Lichtenlaude. This Oberstein that is this smart, this competent, this cunning, mm-hmm. somehow lets a dude smuggle a bazooka <laughs> into the throne room? It doesn't exactly add up. Right. And, you know, it's... I don't know. Look, it's... Is Oberstein actually cruel and cold enough? Are his eyes actually that cold and calculating <laughs> that he would just uh... off Kirky eyes like that? I'm... I'm not 100% sure, but what I do think is that Oberstein is very opportunistic, he's very ambitious, and and he's very untrustworthy. Yeah, and doesn't want Reinhardt to, like, be falling prey to his emotions. Right. Like, here's the thing. We don't... I don't think either of us think that Oberstein is going to betray Reinhardt. At least not... Sure. I mean, Uh, not more than he already has. I I see no reason for him to, like... We don't like, we're not expecting him to like shoot Reinhardt in the back and game, right. like take the power. Like exactly, no, that's no. that's not that doesn't fit Oberstein. No, that that's not Oberstein's MO. But what does fit Oberst- Oberstein would shoot another man in the back <laughs> to allow Reinhardt to yes. take more power. I think what we're seeing here is that Oberstein uh, even if if this is truly the Oberstein that would assassinate Kirkyeyes, this is still the Oberstein that is deeply loyal to Reinhardt because I think this is going to sound like kind of creepy, but I think Oberstein sees the ruler Reinhardt can become. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a part of Oberstein that wants to slowly and subtly groom Reinhardt to become the best space despot he can be. Because yeah. he sees that Reinhardt has all the traits there. Oberstein wouldn't groom or manipulate any politician, any ruler. He's doing this to, to Reinhardt because Reinhardt is the best man. He truly believes that Reinhardt already is the best man to rule the Empire. He is charismatic. Yeah. He is loved. He is intelligent. And, and you know, now that Kirkyeyes is out of the way, he is ruthless. And I think Oberstein sees that Reinhardt only needs a few more pushes to truly embrace that role. Yeah. Like, if anything, 
you know, I think it's, eh, it's not, I guess, improper use of the word irony, but, you know, definitely funny that Oberstein seems to frame Lichtenlaud for everything when I think Oberstein honestly probably wants to be the next Lichtenlaud, honestly. Right. <laughs> yeah. You know, that, yeah. that, that, that second in command who's in the shadows, you know, like, I think what Oberstein really wants is to hold the position he has with Reinhard, but continue to do that for like the next three Kaisers. Right. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Boy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't know, man. We'll go to that, that I board. mean, I don't want to speculate too much because I want to save the, the wild speculation for, you know, the sure. next section, but I think we'll just leave it at that. And even if Oberstein didn't orchestrate, he's still shady. Yeah, totally. And I, you brought it up briefly, Eero, but I do want to come back to it just one more time before we close off because it is directly related to episode 26. But as little as we see of Yang Wenli, I do feel like his presence is important in this episode because it reinforces that contrast between Reinhardt and Yang. Yeah. Like, we talk about Reinhardt having to wear the facade around everyone but Kirky Eyes and Anna Rose, and that now without them, he's basically stuck wearing the facade 24-7. And you know what? Some of that is his fault. He decided to cultivate that image, to yep. cultivate that illusion. And now that he has nobody left who's in on the joke, or not the joke, but, you know, the uh, the the drama, the role that, that, he's, that he's playing... Now he's stuck. Now he's stuck wearing the mask, and yep. in some ways, that's maybe the most tragic takeaway from this episode. Whereas Yang would never have to worry about that because Yang is honest almost twenty four seven. Yep, you can just like, say, "Wow, I'm really scared about where we're headed right now, everyone." Yeah, uh, like Yang Wenli is the guy who gives speeches about, "Hey, this battle sucks, but also it's not worth dying for." This is the same Yang Wen Li that tells Shen Cop, "Hey, if you, you don't, don't play... go along with our plan, we're just screwed, I guess." Right? Like, if you don't go along with this plan, I'm going to die. I need you to do your part. You know, this is the same Yang Wen Li that tells Julian, "Kid, don't, don't become a soldier. Like, please, don't be a soldier. It's not worth it. I became a soldier for the for the for the, the academic money. scholarship." Yeah. <laughs> like. It's true that it makes Yang Wenli quote-unquote weaker. It's true that it means people respect Yang less and that Yang has less power overall in the FPA. But what it also means is that Yang Wenli has slowly but surely over the course of this season cultivated a reliable circle of people he's grown to rely on. Yeah. And they, can, they can rely on him and he can rely on them. Exactly. In ways that Reinhardt cannot with his team. And, you know, how that eventually plays out in the future, I think, remains to be seen. But I think that contrast will eventually become the important deciding factor between the two. Yeah. But, again, now we're going back into speculation territory, so we'll <laughs> save that for the next section. But I just and, wanted to talk about that. Yeah. Speaking of that next section. Yeah, so uh, on that merry note... We're going to end the first portion of this podcast and take a quick break. When we're back, we'll talk about our final thoughts for the season overall, and we'll do it with some extra guests in tow. So stay tuned.
Welcome back to all of you still listening to us ramble about Legend of the Galactic Heroes. We're back from the break to discuss the season overall and generally shoot the shit about what we've seen. While it's definitely I... been a few seconds and not almost a week. No, no. We, <laughs> uh, yeah, we took a quick break and we are back and ready to podcast. You know, the... Uh, well, let's just get into it. While I generally prefer to keep my crew lean and quick... You know, fast and mobile, ready to go at any time. <laughs> Why am I here? You know, sometimes you just need to throw bodies into the fray. Mm-hmm. And thankfully, we've, uh, we have received a couple of recruits. First is none other than the Glorio Chats host, Jell. Excuse me, young man, but I believe my official title is Kaiser Jell Von Glorio, Supreme Ruler of <laughs> the Glorio Empire. Sorry, Jell, but a rank... Rank doesn't transfer across uh, different uh, different nations. Yeah, I'm at the bottom of the totem pole on this one now. We may be both part of the Glorio network, but... <laughs> I've defected to uh, I've here. defected to Legend of the Glorio Heroes, and now I'm uh, I'm just a private. Yeah, you know... Uh, I'm, I'm exactly. Sorry, Joe. You're going to have to start all over again. But you won't be starting alone. <laughs> yeah, because uh, with you reporting for duty is Marlin. Uh, High Bishop of the Earth Cult, Marlin. (laughs) (laughs) While yes, while the Earth Cult is technically recognized in these territories, we uh, we 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 recognize it as its for its spiritual authority. However, we do not recognize the Earth Cult's political authority, at least not yet. Stupid first. We'll uh, (laughs) we'll see. We'll see how things maybe change with season two, but. Anyways, as you can tell, we're uh, running a four-man podcast today to celebrate the uh, completion of Legend of the Galactic Heroes' first season. We uh, we never thought we'd make it this far, but, you know, uh, somehow we're all here a full 25% through <laughs> the 1988 OVA-ish. Man. I guess, yeah. About. Yeah, only 20%, huh? <laughs> Something like that. We're... Yeah. We're look. The we're, space we're is big. Back. Okay, we're <laughs> we're making our way. But the reason why uh, I wanted to bring you two in is because, uh, well, you guys have also been watching Legend of the Galactic Heroes kind of along with us, or maybe because of you know hot new relevant Legend of the Galactic Heroes recap podcast, Legend of the Glory of Heroes. And uh, I figured we would get your guys' take on things since uh, the our fans have not had a chance to. So we're just going to kick this off with everybody's kind of uh, overall thoughts on what we've seen so far. What are your general feelings on Legend of the Galactic Heroes so far? I'm just amazed that it's been able to keep the quality up. Like Even the episodes that don't really seem very con- in, like con- consequential to the overall plot, they still have really great characters and really great developments. It's been really impressive. Yeah, you know, I mean, I think we're all a little surprised that... I mean, I think we're all surprised that not only is it good, but it has, you know, stayed so consistently good. Yeah, and I think... uh, Mm -hmm. Not that just it's good, but it it feels like, maybe to varying degrees, but every episode has some kind of meaning and impact. Um, And it, it doesn't feel like there's a lot of filler in... Even though, right, you'd think in a show this long, just by sheer 
quantity of episodes some of them would have to be filler and some of them maybe like i said are less consequential as others like uh you know some kind of the some of the those empire stories and whatnot were maybe a little right like the one where like the one where the one guy goes back to his yeah. home planet to tell the guy that right, he's but like even, taking all the food and leaving. Like even then, it told a great like personal story that under made you understand what sets up the conflict between the Free Plants Alliance and the the people in the Empire. Right. It still didn't feel like filler, even if it wasn't like directly related to the main conflict or whatever. So, uh, just yeah, really impressed just overall uh, with how good how good it's been. Yeah, I mean, I think that's kind of one of the things Eero and I have, you know. For better or worse, we are maybe something of a broken record on the podcast because, look, when when every every episode of the podcast is just man, those were some good episodes. Mm-hmm. It's <laughs> it, it's a little remarkable, but also yeah, like 110 episodes and so far of the 26 we've seen, remarkably lean isn't the right word, but economic. Yeah, yeah. Like every episode, almost every episode serves a purpose to the grander narrative. I just feel like it's also amazing that this show has never reached a wider audience. That, you know, we just got this remake recently, but that, you know, this was never played on Adult Swim or Toonami or anything like that. Like maybe not Toonami, but Adult Swim. I don't, I don't think it would play. I don't think it would play on either of those networks. Yeah. Like I mean, I think you know, I mean, Hero and I stuff like about Paranoia agents. You know, they they did t- had stuff that dealt with. Yeah, but Paranoia agent was also like what twenty episodes. So I think it was only twelve. <laughs> or twelve. So I mean, the way Hero and I have put it is, in a ways, I feel like this was the right time for us to watch Legend of the Galactic Heroes. Like, I don't think I would have appreciated this show watching it on Toonami when I was fourteen. Right. Yeah, that's true. Even. Even like two or three years ago, I'm not sure I would have had the patience for the show in the way I do now. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, sounds like uh, glad to hear you guys are enjoying it, you know, despite uh, the show's uh, seemingly, you know, uh, daunting reputation. And it's kind of a shame, I think, that from what you showed of the DNT, that like it's not keeping as much in the style, it seems, of the original show, because... I feel like that's what people are eating up right now, you know, with Game of Thrones and like House of Cards. Huh. People love this political drama stuff that people would love if they made an anime that just kept really going deep on that. Yeah, stuff. I do want to say um, I tried to watch DNT after starting the OVA and I did not think it was good. And I feel like if I <laughs> I feel like if I had watched DNT first, I might have been turned off by um by the series. So I'm kind of glad that I ended up jumping into the OVA. We'll probably talk more about that later, but I think, yeah. And I did, I did force myself to watch the uh, six episodes. So like I, I got a good chunk of it and I'm, I, it just did not feel like, um, it felt like an, almost like an imitation of the show. Like they were trying to, uh, take the OVAs and make them kind of a more conventional, like, make the characters kind of learn like conventional anime stereotypes and stuff like that. And I, I did not really enjoy it. So I'm kind of glad right. that I did it's... not watch that first. Yeah. <laughs> Cause I don't know if I would have, uh... I mean, I mean yeah. the phrase being bandied around was like, if the originals, the historical documentary, then D and T is the like big budget Hollywood blockbuster version. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, I'm not even trying to necessarily go that far, but I think D and T is definitely, 
kind of streamlined maybe too much for its own good to or i mean it is what it is it is the modern pretty pretty remake where everybody is hotter and prettier <laughs> except for Reinhardt and Kirky eyes who somehow got less pretty in dnc but you know that's that's another uh topic altogether but i, I was amused they made uh uh, Kazelne, the the glasses boy, the pretty glasses. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's. Yeah, yeah. I guess they realized that they didn't have that niche filled in the original, so you know, right. just to fill that out. Maybe their logic is, in the they original can, is like it's the future. Just... Why does anyone need glasses? Right. Yeah, that's actually a pretty good point. Well, yeah, because Overside just has cyber eyes. So, <laughs> <laughs> like, who the f- <laughs> why the why the fuck do you need glasses when? You know, you got a dude over cool, here. Cool, cool, calm, cybernetic eyes. Yeah, these cool, cold, cybernetic eyes, so to speak. I, I will say, in defense of DNT, that you're right, that maybe it doesn't hold a candle to the original OVA, but I will say that it did a good enough job to at least convince Iro and All I right. that, hey, we should probably watch the original. So mm-hmm. I think it did do its, it did what it was trying to, to do in that regard. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I do like how it was able to kind of capture that feeling that I wonder if uh, of Code Geass, if they kind of stole from this, how it was able to make the whole looking at maps and seeing the battle play out on the maps feel really tense because you, they would cut every once in a while to the actual <laughs> fighting. But for the most part, you were just seeing the two blobs kind of like crash into each other or destroy each other. Mm-hmm. Like it was really well done. And obviously the score helps it amazingly. Like I, I just love orchestra to begin with so to have such great musical pieces just bring out the drama i mean i think there's something to be said about you know i wasn't necessarily going to get into this right now but because the original ova's reputation is oh it is this old really long really kind of sterile show about you know all these guys just standing on ship bridges talking about politics and you know i before watching it, I uh, I understood. Like I was like, oh okay, that's hmm, that's not going to be for everybody. But I think what Legend of the Galactic Heroes does so well, right, is it actually does an amazing job of grounding you in a few really relatable characters that kind of help anchor you to each side's conflict. Right. You know that way it's it's not just that it's not just it's not just dudes standing on bridges. It's Yang Wenli standing on bridges. Right. It's Reinhard von Lohengrim's standing on bridges. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, you know, let it be said that, you know, the, the tactics that they've showed the in they've shown so far, every now and then that show knows how to fucking turn it on, like that one episode of the original Macross, where it's just like, oh hey, we got budget now, so we have uh... badass space fights, but Yeah, that's true. <laughs> so, you know, not save, save all the money from standing around talking for drawing some <laughs> Definitely a lot more melee fights than I was expecting in a space opera, too. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Sorry, Joe. You were uh, going to say something? That's kind of where I was going. There's a lot more axe murder than I was anticipating. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Crossbows. Yeah, crossbows. (laughs) I mean, I kind of love that they even sort of justify that, where it's like, oh, you know it's actually super dangerous to fire a gun inside of a you know a sealed spaceship so right. of course we're going to resort to melee weaponry and mm-hmm. you know we create this convenient particle 
that, as far as I'm concerned, is essentially the Metal Gear Solid nano machines of Legend of the Galactic Heroes, or it's just like, oh, Zephyr Particles. No <laughs> oh, creations needed. Zephyr Particles, son. Yeah, exactly. Oh, man, the fight at the very end when Reinhardt, who gets powered up by Zephyr Particles, versus Angry Young, who has submitted to the power of the Satsui no Hado, is going to be some pretty epic shit. We gotta save our predictions for later, G. Oh yeah, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Our, our predictions part comes later. So, you know, now that we've got our thoughts out of the way, do we do we wanted to uh, address the elephant in the room, which is our dearly yeah. departed friend Siegfried Kirky Eyes? Rest in peace. Uh, my my one big worry about those episodes is like I hope every big character death isn't so clearly telegraphed by the previous episode <laughs> in the future. <laughs> Like, there isn't just this giant montage of, oh, remember all these scenes where he, like, commits his undying love for you and then he gets killed? Well, <laughs> I, I think with Kirky Ice, we all knew something had to happen because he was not in a sustainable position. Like, he, he was either going to have to stand up to Reinhardt. Well, he was going to have to stand up to Reinhardt because we, what we know of Kirky Ice, he couldn't be complicit with what Reinhardt was doing. So he was right. either going to leave or die basically were the options and uh (laughs) and i think it's interesting the way he died was almost like the author gave him like the most merciful death that he could have given him in the sense that he got to die defending reinhardt he didn't have to die die fighting reinhardt which was going to be the next step and right i mean i think in many ways Reinhardt. i mean Kirky Eyes was almost given something of a cold, sweet mercy because he got to die before seeing Reinhardt descend into, you know, right. and, child and, killing. Yeah, well, we know of Kirky Eyes, he would not have been, <laughs> yeah. it, He would not have stood for that. Like yeah. he would have, and it would have been. Then he would have died, like I said, fighting Reinhardt, and that would have been like the worst way for him to possibly go for him. So it was kind of almost merciful in the way that he did get to go out yeah. still defending his precious Reinhardt and, you know. <laughs> is, I, sorry, go ahead, Marlon. It is just going to, for me, make it hard to see, like, what's the appeal of seeing the Empire side? Like, where's, like, the person for us to invest ourselves in? Because Reinhardt is getting corrupted. I mean, you know, I and, think Reinhardt still is the one we're invested in. Like, yeah. I'm not saying we like Reinhardt. I'm not saying we you know, root for him, but I think all of it, I mean, in the same way that, you know, you watch Game of Thrones and, you know, the latest season... All of these are terrible people, but you're still invested yeah, in Almost, Yeah, almost all the yeah. primary characters are terrible people, and I think it's kind of a similar thing with Reinhardt. You know, we're not rooting for him, but we are very invested in his character now. Right. It just seems like there's no good scenario now. It's like... <laughs> You know, Reinhardt is very much going to live, you know, either die a hero or live long enough to become the villain. And I think, I think the latter is, well, yeah, now we're getting into speculation him. territory again. So. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, poor Kirky. Uh, I, I, will, I do agree. I do agree. It's going to make the Empire kind of hard. I mean, even, <laughs> surprise, surprise, even harder to root for the Empire now that they don't have the, uh, moderated the element. Yeah. I wonder if that girl is going to come in more and more. Hilda? Yeah, Hilda. The girl in the opening who <laughs> I was 
didn't know who she was for 20 episodes. <laughs> right. right. That's always the weirdest thing. I was like, is that Francesca? Is there, are they like spoiling something? Yeah, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty but, sure she'll uh, play more of a factor in the future. Yeah. I mean, at this point, Okay, save that for the speculation yeah, part. Sorry, I can't, sorry. I'm I keep, ahead of I keep, myself. I'm ahead of myself. <laughs> no, no, it's me too. I keep like getting that urge to be. Oh, but I bet this. <laughs> what if this? Right. right, but let's just say that all for one big block at the end. So, okay, so we talked about Kirky eyes. Rip Kirky eyes. You were <laughs> too good for us. Too good for this world. As you know, Eros. You know, again, I'll admit, Eero kind of called it. I, I, I think we all agreed Kirky eyes was gonna die eventually. We just. I didn't think it was going to be soon. Yeah, I don't right. think any of us were prepared for that. I, I had him at the top of my list. To die. I, like, I felt like somebody was going to die in by episode 26, and I had him pretty high up on the list. Um, I mean, but yeah, I, I it, it does seem. I mean, looking back now, it makes sense that it had to happen. But I, I feel like even as late as 24, it was like, I don't know. I don't know if it's that they're going to go do that yet. If they're going to pull that trigger yet. So I guess part of me felt after they killed Jessica, I was like, okay, that's your uh, that's your big death of season one. That is, you know, not a, a main character so to speak, but important enough that it is a major mm-hmm. thing. But nah, Legend of the Galactic Heroes don't fuck around apparently. So yeah. well, I, they they had at the end of twenty six the little you know montage of all the the, the body count yeah. basically, <laughs> and there was a lot of people that died. Get that yeah. every season, like at the end of season two, uh, that would be a lot. <laughs> One oh man not to count the like millions on, is it billions yet, at this but, point of people yeah. that have died fighting <laughs> over their entire history probably billions i think in this war like since the show started i think they're still only in the millions oh, great I mean, yeah don't don't worry the fpa is working their hardest to boost that number as high as possible <laughs> right <sighs> so <laughs> Related to Kirk, guys, let's just get into what the fuck is Oberstein's deal, because I think we and I think maybe we were split down the lines on what the fuck is Oberstein up to. I'm still standing by my anti-conspiracy theory that it was totally his plan to, once it happened, pin this on the Prime Minister, but I don't think he was behind the death of Kirk, I think Eero and I are on the side that Oberstein is generally portrayed to be just too competent to allow somebody to smuggle in a fucking bazooka <laughs> in some hollow chest cavity. Yeah. Uh, he capitalized on but an opportunity. Not, like, I'm, not saying, I'm not saying he's behind it. Like, I'm not saying he engineered Ansbach's assassination attempt, but I'm saying he perhaps saw it coming and maybe engineered, a... like tweaked events a little bit to go into his favor. Got plausible deniability. Yeah, I don't know if I don't know if he like told Ansbach, okay, you're gonna put the bazooka in the body and bring it in this time. <laughs> but I've I've been back I've been back and forth on this because it does seem a little crazy to me that Oberstein would be betting on Kirkyas's ability to deflect a missile. Right, and, that's <laughs> like, for me. So, but I'm also we've also seen <laughs> we've also seen and. Uh, what if? What if? Yeah, can he, I, instead of using the bazooka, I, like would it use the ring and just shot, shot I, the ring? Marlon, we talk about this in the first half of the podcast. But, 
I'm just saying, what if what if Oberstein's got like a simulation or like a, a diagram in his room, and you know, in Kirkie's profile, profile, it's got like all of his stats, and he's done the math. He knows Kirky like based on Kirkie's you know reaction speed and deflection stat, and like on his parry, he knows that Kirkie's can block that missile like eighty percent reliably. His his eyes just like double as an Oculus Rift, and he's able to simulate. So, I mean, we know, we know, uh, <laughs> we already know they track HP and MP, right? So why yeah, not other exactly. stats? But um, yeah. So I I, I was just gonna say I I've been going back and forth on like deciding how complicit Oberst- Oberstein was was with Kirkyice dying. I mean, I think it's clear he wanted him out of the picture. I don't think there's any question there. Um, I do feel like maybe if he wanted to kill him, like it felt like he was working toward uh, isolating Reinhardt away yeah. from him. And I feel like if he wanted to kill him, he probably would have killed him already. But um, that said, on the flip side, we have also seen Oberstein take risks. Like there's no, like even somebody, you know, as, you know, smart and calculating as him there's going to be no like 100 guarantees with any of these i mean you can even go back to when he approached reinhardt in the first place he was taking a gamble on reinhardt just you know executing him on the spot so you know maybe this is another calculated risk it's cool. he's, that he's, he was willing he's cool, to calm and calculate you know, odds on i don't know but eyes are probably doing all the math for him <laughs> i just i just don't i don't buy it like for me <laughs> It just seems like way too many variables were there. And it, for me, it's he was responsible for the situation happening the way it did, for Kierkegaard not being at his side, which actually probably saved and his not life. Ha- and and not having his sidearm. But none yep. of the other admirals had their sidearms either. Right, but Kierkegaard usually gets sidearm privileges, remember? <laughs> he... At the start of that, prior to the assassination, when Kirkyaz is checking into the throne room. Like, it's never been a problem before that I've had my sidearm. Right, and yeah. then the security details, like, sorry, Reinhardt said no exceptions this time. So, what's that? Te- what does that tell you? Is that right? Is that Kirkyaz would normally have his gun on him, but right, this but time he we're, didn't. We're basically giving Reinhardt no, like, no motivation or intention on his own. Like, what if Reinhardt was starting to buy in on the idea that he had to make Kirkyai's equal to the other admirals. Oh, no, no. We're not saying that Reinhard had anything to do with this. I'm saying this no, is no, all no. Oberstein. Saying, like, the, the part about the gun yeah, he's been in... could have been just as much Reinhard saying, well, yeah, if Kirkyai's has to be equal to everyone, I've been giving him this, you know, this... Uh, that, that was treatment. engineered... That was still engineered by Oberstein. Yeah, it yeah, was. Yeah, like, Oberstein's the one who convinced Reinhard to make that decision in the first place. Yeah. Yeah. I guess the... I mean, the real question is: Does it even matter? Because whether or not whether or not Oberstein that's the beauty. That's the beauty it, of the plan. It doesn't yeah. matter. Yeah, <laughs> whether whether or not he had any actual whatever, however deep his hands were into it, he wanted Kirkyice out of the picture, and he got Kirkyice out of the picture. And he wanted and, something that he could pin on the prime minister and get him out yep. of the picture. So it all Look, worked I out mean, for him in the end. I'm just saying, what we've seen of Oberstein so far. We know, like, three things about him. He's <laughs> smart. He's shady as fuck. <laughs> he has cool, calm, cybernetic eyes. I Look, all at least all, all, all three of those, actually, all three of those prove that 
All three of those actually prove he's up to something. Happens, I do like I uh, still don't buy I like how even he got poetic at the end uh, when he was just alone there with Kirk Yace's body and had the whole line about like, you know, with the light there comes darkness or whatever shadow and, you know, the shadows grow like or whatever. Shadow. And like that seems like I, that's, that felt like slightly out of character for him, but I thought it was kind of neat. But anyway. <laughs> I mean, you know, this is still a space opera at its core. Right. Exactly. Everybody is going to get a little dr- melodramatic every now and then. So, mm-hmm. yes, and I love it. But yeah, do you now? You say you love the show. Really? That's surprising <laughs> because we might as well roll into our next topic, uh, which is uh, I'm sorry, Jell and Marlin. Actually, I told you guys you were here as new recruits, but. Jell, you might be wondering why a decorated officer such as yourself is here with the likes of a war criminal like Marlin. And well, <laughs> the reality, <laughs> the, the reality is that actually both of you are here to face judgment. We're getting, are we getting court-martialed or something? Or? I, I don't know. Uh, we are here to hold... <laughs> We are here to hold the roast and inquisition of Marlin and Jell, who were, uh, to give some context, uh, early doubters of Legend of the Galactic Heroes. This was back when you guys were still watching Dina Toise, or whatever it's called. I'm just going to say that. Like, to give it some context, when we first decided to do this podcast, you know, we got a fair bit of ribbing from everybody in the chat because... Oh, you guys are going to have a lot of fun podcasting about 110 episodes of people just standing around talking. And, you know, Iro and I knew we were, you know, we were the first, uh, we were the first faithful of Legend of the Galactic Heroes. Damn us straight. in 2018. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> we're the first true fans of Legend of the Galactic Heroes. <laughs> yep, in all of history. Uh, in all of 30 history. years. Uh, <laughs> There are no other Legend of the Galactic Heroes podcasts or certainly not. <laughs> and fan videos. You know, so and we stuck with it and we kept watching and we kept doing the podcasts until eventually Marlin and Jill broke down after listening to our excellent recap podcast. Indeed. And decided, okay, fine, I guess we'll watch it. And then surprise, surprise, motherfucker, Legend of the Galactic Heroes is great. Yeah, and then I proceeded <laughs> to watch like five more episodes than they were at <laughs> in one sitting i went from like episode or i went from that beginning movie all the way to like episode nine i'm pretty sure <laughs> you know all right so that's all fair because we <laughs> yes please defend yourself that's all fair we we did uh give you guys a hard time and it mostly because it was funny um because mm-hmm. you know if you if you just describe in words to somebody what legend of galactic heroes is it does sound very boring. Um, and if the show was indeed just men standing around on bridges looking at charts, uh, I think I would. None of us would. Yeah, I don't think any of us would probably still be watching it at this point. Uh, but it turns out that is not really all that it is, especially like once the once the show really got going, like there really isn't even much of that at all. There's a lot of other well, I mean, space opera stuff going on. Like, there's, you know, a lot of human drama, you know, people having conversations that aren't on bridges. Pouring wine down people's throats. Uh, right. You know, occasional, <laughs> occasional was splashes of axe murder. Uh, we had Space Caligula showed up. Uh, 
Oh yeah, that was <laughs> like right. God, that yeah, was so there, there's long. There's a lot ago. of there's a lot of other stuff going on, and um, yeah, I mean, it just it's hard to describe that to someone, and uh, in just you know a few sentences. Like if you're making your you know one or two sentence pitch for the show, it's hard to really put it in a way that sounds like interesting, I guess, and. I feel like you true, would have true. to like just go into even though I know it's really like cliche, but it's basically Game of Thrones in space or like House of Cards in space. There's so much. It, I mean, that, that is definitely the elevator pitch. You yeah. know, even though I think actually, when did Game of Thrones? When did the first book come out? I... Uh, it was in the 90s, I think. Legend of Galactic Roads predates Game of Thrones. Yeah, it does. Booyah! Hell yeah! <laughs> Shit, George R. R. Martin. <laughs> Yeah. So Game Game of Thrones is really the uh, Game of Thrones is the Legend of Galactic Heroes of, uh, of fantasy. fantasy. That's true. <laughs> yeah. I'm just saying, like, if you were to talk to a person that hasn't ever watched anything except for whatever's popular, that's how you would pitch it. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. But you know what? Despite the roasting, I will say I'm glad you guys are watching it because I'm going to need you guys on my side when I put forth my very controversial write-in candidate for Anime of the Year 2019, <laughs> 1988's Legend uh, of the Galactic don't, Heroes. Don't do this. Uh, Legend of the Galactic Heroes presents best anime. <laughs> I'd be okay with that. Look, I'm just saying, all right, look, 2019's got some interesting stuff. You know, there's Promare and, uh, you know, Shinichiro Watanabe's new anime, but... I'm just saying we'll probably finish Legend of the Galactic Heroes sometime in 2019. Hmm. So I'm just saying, think about it. I'm gonna have, we're gonna, gonna, you're going to put me into a constitutional crisis. <laughs> now, <laughs> now, just like nobody just, said. It's the Common Rider Gaim crisis of 2014. <laughs> <laughs> now, the rules here say that no, no one in the rules that say a dog can't play football. <laughs> and underneath that, it also says that Anime of the year doesn't have to have aired in that year. I think so. that's like the only rule we have, but that's yeah, that is literally the only rule we've ever had. <laughs> but sure, we can we can talk about that. Uh, we can talk about it that. We even disqualified we'll anime for starting in the year and not ending. <laughs> well, look, I got some political machinations in stock. We'll. We'll see how we'll see the tune you guys are are all singing in 2019. So yeah. yep. save that for later. But uh, let's just roll right into the next topic. Then related to you guys finally getting into the OVA is let's talk about the reputation. Like, does Legend of the Galactic Heroes hold up? Is it actually as good as all of its fans say? Like, we all kind of maybe we all none of us personally knows that guy. You know in the anime fandom who is the legend of the galactic heroes fan but i think we've all seen or heard or interacted with those kind of people where you know them and then as soon as they ta start talking about legend of the galactic heroes they never shut up and now we have become those people yeah we've we've become those people uh, yeah that's what's happening um I, you know let me just say as in you know an old man who was actually alive when legend of galactic heroes came out um the uh <laughs> the only one <laughs> that Ouch. that said i never really had much like interaction with that guy so to speak like at most i've maybe 
had like seen some screen caps floating around or whatever. And you you kind of hear that the show is amazing and one of the best shows of all time. But I kind of stayed away from it. You know, part of the reputation was the, you know, the men standing on ships talking or whatever. But also just the link, the length of it right. is very intimidating because, um, you know, the the core OVA being, you know, 100 plus episodes. And then if you want to get into the, the guy den stuff, that's, you know, even more. I distinctly remember uh, years and years and years and years ago, I was browsing the internet or whatever and saw someone talking about Legend of the Galactic Heroes. And it was specifically in the context of there's a thousand characters and you'll care about all of them. <laughs> yeah. Here's this chart of a hundred faces that all look kind of the same. And I'm just I, like, yeah, oh, and I feel God. Like that is a very bad and unfair way of pitching the show. And I, mean, I, I guess for some people right. that yes. might be appealing. But I think for most people, that's just going to be a turnoff. Like, I don't have time to get into all that. And um, yeah. I think it does a show a disservice because once you actually watch the show, like all those details and that richness is there. But it's not really like you don't need to know everybody's name. Right. They don't just yeah, they don't it dump it all at you once. You don't need yeah. to know everybody's name. Right to understand what's going on, to appreciate the themes, to appreciate the core characters that are, you know, the real important ones. And, you know, anybody can watch right. it and enjoy it, even if you're not digging into all the little details of, you know, the, the, you know, the, the depth of the lore that they have, or you guys always say it's more like there's actual history, not, not just lore, but, um, yeah, that is, yeah. yeah and way of saying it. yeah, I, I think because a lot of the times the show is pitched that way, that kind of turned me off to it over the past, you know, 20 plus years or whatever. Yeah. Now that you say that, it reminds me a lot of how people that really love uh, the Lord of the Rings. will talk about how the Lord of the Rings was made. Cause you know, like J.R.R. Tolkien created right. all these languages and these cultures and like history and geography specifically to like build up such a rich foundation to build the story on that was the Lord of the Rings. And I see the same thing with Legend of the Galactic Heroes. Like, I think, Eero, you were the one that showed us that he actually originally envisioned this as the, like, prequel story to a story he was writing, but he realized it was that so interesting. So it was it was just like he wrote, a, he wanted to write a space opera, and so he wrote the, like, prologue section of the first novel, which is literally just, like, a timeline of relatively modern day up until the present day of Legend of the Galactic Heroes, and like goes into detail about like the rise of the empire and then the like how the FBI split off, et cetera, et cetera. Um, written in the way like the tone of a historical novel. And like so there will be paragraphs that are just like asides to and this historian like and and the quote from this historian of the time was this. And uh then he like that eventually like was picked up by a publisher and he expanded it out to the actual story. And so you can see just how much care he put into it. It, it. I think it really holds up. The thing you can really say about Legend of the Galactic Heroes is, at least the OVA anyways, is remarkably well-researched. You know, like It's obviously not based on real events, but the way they talk about them, the way they kind of carry them out, they feel very... How do I put it? You know, Unlike most anime, or hell, even most fiction, period, it feels... Grounded. Yeah, like remarkably grounded. And, you know, it's it's kind of interesting. I think I've talked about this with Iroh a bit is, you know, I think all 
all mediums, all genres have like the work, right? The work everybody says, oh, you've got to watch this. This is the one, right? Your, you know, your The Way of the Dragon or your Lord of the Rings, you know, the the works in your your specific niche that are, you know, the defining the work, the defining one, and and usually I feel like when you go back to them they're often still quite good, but you have to come at them appreciating right. what they were contextual to their time, right? right? Like, let's be honest, as somebody who read the original Lord of the Rings books, those books are kind of a slog, you know, well, honestly. Yeah. It'll take an entire page to tell you about a tree. I mean... <laughs> right. <laughs> and this is window dressing, for sure. Yes, yes. And you can kind of appreciate it contextually for, like, wow, like, thinking about when this first was released and the time it was when nobody had created this. Or, you know, for me in Kung Fu movies, you know, you have, like, Bruce Lee's The Way of the Dragon. It's kind of a similar, like, wow, this choreography for its time was, you know, never done before. You know, they had never right. done it, like, in this really snappy, kinetic way. And But also, compared to modern day martial arts movies it's i mean still quite good but it isn't it doesn't you know have the same degree of polish that just comes with the time of a genre being further refined but i feel like legend of the galactic heroes actually lives up to the hype it like everybody says it's this amazing fucking thing and so far it totally is yeah all those like storytelling fundamentals that it follows are like done well i mm -hmm. think um i think it has a good balance of like competent and incompetent characters to really reflect like <laughs> real life situations that you're always going to have yeah that mix of people in power that are completely incompetent or people that are able to work their way into power that are incompetent and they're either worked against or undermined by or, or undermine better people and like I've, i always thought that was really interesting the other thing too is like the the stories and themes that it's telling you don't need the context of the times for it to be important and relevant. You could, the, 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 the things they're saying in this show would have been relevant a hundred years ago and they'll probably be relevant like a hundred years from now. Like it's a very, <laughs> um, fortunate. I mean, that's like both like very, like <laughs> it's very cool that legend of the galactic heroes does that. It's also very depressing. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, maybe we'll get into that in the next war, topic. Or <laughs> never changes. <laughs> yeah, something like that. Apparently, uh, what was I going to say? Um, yeah, speaking to your your competence thing, uh, Marlin, I I do like that. I feel like in a lot of fiction, when bad things happen, it's because of incompetent people, right? It's like, oh, the general, the stupid, fat, corrupt general made an idiot mistake and it cost the whole war or something. Mm -hmm. But. The thing I like about Legend of the Galactic Heroes is that you have competent people across like every rung of the ladder, and they're not stupid. They don't buy into the propaganda. You know, you have guys like Kazanlu or Bucock on the FPA, or you know, guys like uh, like Kessler in the Empire who totally fucking see like how fucked up everything is. They know it. They can see it with their own eyes, and. It's just that they don't have the power to effectively change it, at least not on their own. Right. And the best they can do is just kind of mitigate the consequences as best as they can. Yeah, and that's a much more realistic uh, take on you know the real world and not just you know the good guy. And I guess, the bad like guy. I said, every once in a while, an incompetent thing won't happen because someone's like inherently incompetent, but they're just like getting caught in the passion of the moment. Like I'm forgetting his name. Like it was a Mittenmeyer. Or during the fight against Yang Wen Li, he totally let him escape uh, because he was just so like 
so set upon destroying him, but he got outflanked, and you know he, he's obviously the still an admiral or Bittenfield. That Wait, was that was that Bittenfield? Yeah, yeah, no, no, sorry, that's that's Bittenfield. Uh, uh, rhymes with Garfield. Street. <laughs> <laughs> he has red hair. That's how I remember. Okay. okay. No. Yeah. Good point. Yeah. <laughs> uh. Also, like I feel like. Okay, apologies to all the big Bittenfield fans out there. Maybe we clown on him a little too hard sometimes, but also he totally was kind of a dumbass who fell right into, like, Yang Trap 101. So. <laughs> he kind of has the yeah. unfortunate uh, position of where all of Reinhardt's... Uh, if all of Reinhardt's admirals are, you know, S-rank uh, admirals, and he's like a, he's like an a, he's only like an A, then, uh, you know, he, he looks like the, uh, the incompetent one. <laughs> I mean, honestly, we'll see. Some of those admirals have gotten like zero screen time. <laughs> true, and true. For true. all we know, for all we know, Bittenfield is a case of like, you know, trying to use a buzzsaw to do surgery or something. Maybe he was just wasn't the right man for the job. He right. seems like the kind of dude that's like, at least to me, Bittenfield feels like the kind of guy that's like, see those dudes out there, fuck them up. Just <laughs> I don't care what the consequences are. Right. Just get over there and fuck them up. You know, kind of like like that axe guy. Uh, what's his name? Yeah, yeah. Like I wish I could remember that dude on the FPA side. But Eero, you remember that episode during the Civil War where oh, I just said go in there and shoot everything. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Where Yon told like that one oh, general, yeah, like, "Oh, yeah, take yeah. your contention, just like bum rush right into the middle of the Rebel <laughs> oh, FPA dang. fleet, have, and yeah, then I'd just bust the shit out of them." <laughs> Was that Van Hughes? Yeah, yeah, Van Hughes. Yeah, I was like, okay, this dude is quickly becoming my favorite character. <laughs> uh, something to be said about just, you know, simple, straightforward tactics. Yeah. But. Yeah, like, there, there is a, that wide array of competence levels across the whole thing. Like, I remember every time, like, fucking motherfucker Andrew Fork <laughs> speaks right. up and says some dumbass shit. There's always like someone in the room who's still like, "That's dumb. We need to think about this better." And you know, it's just that they just get shouted down. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like it's never a case of like, like I think it would be way more infuriating for the viewer if you had a character like Andrew Fork, and then they just got away with it, like, and nobody could stop them. It's like, and, oh, I and don't know, him getting, him getting away with it, even though people voice concerns might be more infuriating. Well, I like that because it at least gives other characters a sense of agency. Like That's one true. of the one of the worst things in Game of Thrones that happens sometimes is you have a character who's like, oh, they're the they're the snide, conniving, cunning one, and every time they pull off a plot, it works perfectly. Nobody sees it coming. Nobody even tries to stop it. Like even like the other characters who are portrayed as smart and competent fall for it. Which I think is infuriating because it removes the agency of those characters. It prevents their ability to respond realistically based on who they who they have been written as characters. Whereas the thing I like about the Andrew Fork stuff is not Andrew Fork himself, no sir, but it's the fact that he pulls off this heinous bad shit that got millions of people killed. But it's not like Yang or Bucock or any of the other FPA fell for it. The problem is that it was the people in power who like let it happen. But other people around him were like, no, that's stupid. Like, you're stupid. <laughs> that's actually one of the things that got me to finally watch the show was listening to you guys talk about Yang being the guy holding the clipboard. <laughs> right. <laughs> nobody and, listening uh, to him. <laughs> and, and nobody, nobody listening to him. And, you know, on a personal level, I've felt very that felt very relatable <laughs> to me just in my current <laughs> position because I'm often the man holding the clipboard while I watch my superiors make bad decisions. 
but it also kind of told me, okay, this show is approaching a lot of these topics with a very, um, the author, the author is kind of depicting like real stuff. It's not like, like I said earlier, it's not like a very like cut and dry. These guys are good. These guys are bad. And the bad guy, the good guys, stop the bad much, guys. Like, you know, there's, there isn't too much narrative convenience happening in Legends of Galactic Heroes. Right. It's, it's all, the, these things happen in ways that are very like logical and believable and could happen tomorrow. Like that, you know, that, that, that was very appealing to me. And hearing you guys say, talk about that was one of the things that was like, all right, I should probably check this, check this thing out. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And I think with that, we kind of just roll right into, I mean, we kind of already been talking about this already, so this isn't exactly the most natural transition, but <laughs> <laughs> Legend of the Galactic Heroes weirdly, weirdly, weirdly relevant in 2018, <laughs> right? I think yeah. we've all kind of taken our own personal takeaways from the events it portrays, and mm-hmm. I don't know, like, how can it still manage to be so on point 30 years later? So... Yeah, I mean, history obviously. Repeats. Yeah. <laughs> history is it because is it because time is a flat circle and we're all doomed? Uh, is that is that the core of it? Populism will always rise after a certain amount of time in every government. Like we saw it in the eighteen hundreds in America, we saw it in the seventeen hundreds in France. It's you know like, and so that's what we see kind of happen. I mean, shit, we saw in the nineteen forties in Germany. You know, yeah. let's not get it twisted there. Well, yeah, I was just gonna say. Um, you know, just adding on to the obviously the history repeating itself is the 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 clear kind of easy answer. Um, you know, obviously the the author is a student of history, and you see a lot of you know even older. You know, we're talking about being relevant despite being written thirty years later. But you know, thirty years ago he was writing about things that happened you know far you know far earlier than that. Like you see a lot, and you see even just direct influence. Like, gee, you mentioned Germany. I mean, the empire is German. Right. I mean, there's, <laughs> there's a lot of the turn of the century kind of, you know, German uh, aesthetic there. And I'm, that's not an accident. I mean, um, like, I politically, like, they're like, basically uh, space the First Reich. So, right. you know, with right. elements of the Second like, Reich. Um, or, no, I mean, the, yeah, the, yeah, second the Second Reich, Reich with Reich. elements of the Third Reich yeah. starting to leak in. So, I feel like specifically there's a lot of um, Julius Caesar and Reinhardt. Um, if you, oh yeah, I mean, maybe not, maybe not making like you know direct, you know, point for point comparison, but just kind of the the way he's rising to power. There's a lot of that in there. We literally had people in togas at some point. <laughs> right, um, I was gonna say he can't be Caesar <laughs> because it was the other guy that got stabbed to death. Uh, Napoleon's rise to power was somewhat similar. Yeah, yeah Na- he was dealing with Napoleon too. Guy. There's a lot of Napoleon in there. So I mean, th- there's history leading up to it. And I think what fascinates me is, uh, and we—I think we've talked about this before—but the 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 fact that it is set so far in the future in space kind of gives it a, enough distance where you can kind of apply it. To, it's it's far enough removed from reality where you can apply it to anything. But I think it also, True. because it's so far in the future, it also kind of asks the question of: Are we still going to be doing this? you know, 500, 1,000, 2,000 years from now? <laughs> the answer appears to be yes. Yeah, so. you know, I mean, you, you guys were talking about the Empire, and I think I want to spend at least a little bit t- of time talking about the FPA, because the FPA is kind of a mess, guys, and 
in many yeah. ways, it reminds us of our own mess, perhaps. Like, I think we can all agree the Empire <sighs> is worse, right? I mean, fuck, you know, yes. fuck Nazis, fuck the Empire, blah, blah, <laughs> mm-hmm. blah. We all can broadly agree on that, even if Reinhard is going to make them, you know, the good version of the Nazis or whatever. <laughs> like, like that's killing sentence right there. Over 10 years <laughs> yes, yes, the good version of the Nazis who kill people who are above the age of 10. But, <laughs> uh, <laughs> to quote, good. For the greater good, you know, for the, the needs of the many. Uh, (laughs) but i think i think for a lot of us the fpa frustrates us more because it's more directly relatable it's in some ways it's in some ways kind of an ugly mirror of kind of democracy's inherent fragility you know i think you know yang talks about this right like yang at the very end of the season of season one is like right actually I'm really scared because what good is democracy if it means people like Job Trunick can, you know, rise to power. Right. And I think it kind of speaks to that deep-seated anxiety that we all have that democracy essentially only works so long as everybody agrees to it. And once you have somebody that doesn't agree and they gain enough power, it can be very, very difficult to stop them. Yeah. Right. I mean... And yeah. Sorry, go ahead. I just I keep thinking about uh the like the stadium and how you know Yeah when uh when they make the protest and how like the protesters turn the guns on the like cuz obviously the in, the coup force was in the wrong but we see this like really ugly version of of revolts and how they do like because it's basically the complete I mean, they weren't gonna just stand by and I mean, let, them, let themselves get shot up right, right. I, we, we talked about this during that podcast but i feel like in some ways that is the fallacy or it's it's the fallacy that people accuse uh peaceful protesters of of committing right is that oh how could you claim that you're peacefully protesting if you're willing to turn violent and it's more peaceful protest works under the assumption that the government will at least you know if not, you know, acquiesce to the demands, it, it operates under the the pretense that the government will at least respect the rights of the peaceful protest, which the uh, National Salvation Military Council clearly did right. not respect. And I think in that situation, I think I think the thing they were trying to communicate there is that it is entirely within the right of peaceful uh, of even peaceful protesters to defend their lives. You know, it's, right? Well, yeah. I mean, what that boiled down to was like. Okay, you're pe- what if you're peaceful protesting and then you start getting beat and shot? Like, what are you supposed to do? Continue to just be beat and shot? Like, the, it's, right? If the government continues to not I respect mean, your protest, well, if this is Detroit to- become yeah. human, they 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 just start singing, everything will be totally fine. <laughs> uh, I mean, there, there are God. examples of where you know the the response by at least some kind of government did elicit a greater popular response. You saw that, you know, in Birmingham in the 1950s or yeah i don't India. i don't think that situation would apply though given the situation of the government yeah i i mean that that is different because that's assuming that um <laughs> the rest of the you know the rest of the nation and the government is going to look at that as wrong whereas i think in the legend of galactic heroes scenario um they had already taken control of like the they, they had already specifically long. said free speech is canceled, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right, but, 
So I think it's like the interesting thing is, is you could see like there was a breakdown because it seemed like Yang was really e easily able to take all of the outlying planets after that happened. Like that there was a breakdown in morale because of that event. I, I think Yang was going to take those planets regardless, but um, I think I don't there's know. some idea to that, that like that event is such a like, flashpoint. I mean, let's be frank. It's such a flashpoint. It's such a PR disaster for, you know, the NSMC that you, you could maybe make some argument that it, it gave Yang the quote unquote extra push. But right. also, I think, yeah. again, as you said, Yang is look, right. as Shen Cup told Yang, Dude, there's no way you're gonna lose this. Like, you're gonna put this rebellion down. Like, there's there's no way that isn't happening. But uh, and but yeah, I think I think as you guys said, um, in many ways, because Legend of the Galactic Heroes isn't about a specific era that we are intimately familiar with, right? It, it makes it easier for us to ascribe our own personal experiences and values to it, right? You know, like you know, as, I'm sure there are people out there who, etc. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you know, like, look, I'm sure there are people out there who watch the Empire stuff and go, huh, yeah, this this is how a government should be run. Uh, <laughs> this Reinhardt guy's got the right idea. And, like, again, those people are wrong, but it is <laughs> – but because of the way the show is framed, you can, you can apply that to your own personal framework. Right. Mm-hmm. But uh, anyways, I think, you know, with that, we can – we have kind of established, yes – uh, spoilers. Legend of the Galactic Heroes, uh, still relevant in 2018. Still relevant. Oh, yeah. Uh, so, still be applied uh, to right now. Yeah, yeah. So, with all that said, let's roll into some lighter topics, you know. We've, we've, you know, this podcast of ours has mostly been, you know, kind of us just shooting the shit about each episode and that sort of thing, but now that we've got everybody here, I figured we might as well hash out the really important stuff. So... We're gonna start off with uh, it's just some you know just some fun side questions here. So uh, the first topic we have is Yang Wen Li presents favorite Legend of the Galactic Heroes character hmm. because I am I, I I am framing it this way because I cannot just have a podcast where all four of us just agree. Yeah, Yang Wen Li is the best, isn't yeah, he? I mean, I was so, just saying like we would have to like count out a couple of characters, right? So. Favorite character that isn't Yang Wenli? <laughs> Go. Um, for some reason, because tough. Dusty Attenborough. I kind of like. He him. has a good name. Yeah, he's got a great name. That's one of the things. But it's also like his talks with Yang as a confidant, and like he seems to be a bit more grounded. He he, he tries to bring Yang a bit more to the ground. A little bit like he's a little more, a little more pragmatic. Yeah. Yeah. I'm surprised you didn't say. I'm surprised you didn't say Julian then, you know, I feel yeah. like, I feel like Julian is, uh, Yang's true confidant, at least so far. Yeah, he's too much of a hotshot. His ward. Just busting into rooms. Oh, I don't know, I, I like, I like, I like that aspect of Julian, like, when, fuck, when Yang is dealing with Bagdashu, and, like, the camera pans up, and fucking Julian is already fucking cocked and ready to go. Yeah. Or, like, when Yang got ambushed at the hotel, Julian and, like, Julian's yeah. first instinct is to grab the fucking gun from his suitcase. Yeah. I was like, man. Got high hopes for that kid. Yeah. <laughs> I'm terrified because in the open, like, in the ending sequence, uh, let's... everyone except Julian fades away. <laughs> I really hope that's not what they're implying in that uh, ending. 
Uh, well, yeah, we'll see. <laughs> we'll save that for the speculation yeah. section, but... So, so I also, when I saw this in the notes, realized that we can't all just say Yang, because I think if we were approaching this from the traditional favorite character is the one you like the most would probably would all pick Yang or, you know, maybe one of the other FPA people or something. I don't know. But uh, I wanted to shout out Jessica Edwards. Yes, and definitely. Specifically, um, you know, I don't want to get this seri- all serious again, but, you know, everybody else in the show is, you know, military. Um, you know, Jessica did not have a fleet to command or, you know, each or, you know, a uh, squad of troops or anything like that. She was just a regular like civilian. And, um, you know, for her to have the, you know, courage to do the things that she did with the means that she had available to her, I think was very. Um, yeah, we could all probably learn from Jessica because uh, because I think it's safe to say <laughs> None of us are probably ever going to command a space fleet. I'm I'm just going out on a limb here and saying that like we're 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 probably not ever going to be in a position like Yang to make the kind of decisions that Yang has to make and be in those positions. But we can all be Jessica. Like that is, you know, she she, there's nothing she was doing that we would not be able to, you know, do in taking a stand for you know what we believe in and uh, you know that's just a good. I think she's. It was a good example, and I feel like her, her, the, the moment that she died was, for me, probably the hardest hitting moment of the series so far. It's maybe um, that show's lowest point because I, I I totally agree with you, Jill. I'm glad you actually brought up Jessica because I feel like she is the character that, as bad as the FPA gets, she kind of is the personification that, or. She is the personification of why democracy is worth fighting for. You know, she personifies this idea that political activism is worth it. It is worth fighting for, that it can change things for the better, and that it can inspire people to, you know, kind of rise out of their apathy and try to make the world a better place. And losing her kind of, I don't know, in some ways it, it, it it's a very it's a very dark omen for the FPA. I feel yep. it's hard. It's a hard, even just thematically, it's kind of hard to swallow that, um, <laughs> swallow that moment because yeah. you know, it's, uh, you know, we see those things happen and it's, you know, kind of difficult to accept sometimes, but, um, even so, you know, even to the point where, you know, she put herself in danger, it was, you know, she was willing to, you know, ironically that the the guy, uh, whatever the military guy was, uh, you know, gave that whole speech about, you know, are you willing to die for it? And, you know, her, her I, I know you guys talked about it, but I'll just, you know, reaffirm her answer to that was also one of the best, I think, moments of the show. So. Um, no, totally, totally. Yes, agreed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ah. <sighs> I mean, sorry, I made, it, I, sorry, I made it serious again, but <laughs> no, it's fine. Uh, if I can't pick Young, yeah, I mean, yeah, uh, Young is the best boy, obviously, but like, uh, but like, if you want to talk about just like narrative, character writing, Reinhardt stuff is also really good. Like, it it should be said that while at the start, I think all of us were just like all young all the way, and while we are still all young all the way, um. <laughs> yes. Like, 
they actually did a good job of like fleshing out Reinhardt and yeah. making his character yeah you did he... realistic and believable sorry in a way that like maybe I didn't necessarily expect to come from like the at least from our point of view the obvious bad guy side totally. um, and like it it it's it's true that like um, how do I put this even if we don't agree with Reinhardt like we're all still heartbroken and when Kirky Eyes dies, you know, and stuff like that. Like yeah. we still, we still care about what the character's going through. We're still invested, even if we don't agree with most of his decisions. And yeah, I, I, I have to, I will also, you know, yeah, agree with there and kind of give out some brief props to uh, Reinhardt because I think I was one of the strongest, like skeptics of Reinhardt's ability to carry the empire side of the story because, you know, the thing with Yang is, Look, the reason why we had to exclude Yang from this category is because Yang is just so damn relatable. He's he's affable, he's a little self-deprecating, he's undeniably brilliant, but also, you know, maybe lacks the you know, the sheer ruthless ambition to, you know, turn it into anything more than, you know, his his kind of idealistic crusade to defend democracy. But they really do make Reinhardt a relatable character that you can get emotionally invested in and they do give him flaws that i feel like that was my biggest like like criticism of dnt is that the the dnt version of reinhardt is the facade version of reinhardt in the ova like we've talked about this multiple times but there are kind of two sides to reinhardt there is the facade there is the impeccable impenetrable you know cold calculating charismatic god emperor reinhardt the one that will you know command his men you know through through any you know trial and tribulation and come out on top in the end but then there is the reinhardt that only people like anna rose and kirky i saw the kind of immature impulsive like reinhardt that is like extremely quick to I mean, as we saw in his childhood, extremely quick to violence, you know, the <laughs> the Reinhardt who at the first, like, at, in the first whiff of trouble immediately grabs, like, the closest brick or pipe he can get his hands on and, like, starts whacking people in the head. <laughs> and I'm glad we saw that. And we still see that even when he gets older, right? There's the <laughs> Reinhardt that's like, ugh, Bittenfield, hang up, I don't. I don't want to. I don't want to get a call from Bittenfield yeah. anymore. <laughs> and it's the same Reinhardt who, upon like being told you know, uh, maybe it was Lichtenlaud, says put put every child over ten to death. Yeah, it's and and the same Reinhardt that's like, ugh, I don't want to go to Prince Braunschweig's ball, <laughs> and I hate him. Yeah, I think um, <laughs> and yes, man him into <laughs> right, like you, you realize that actually Reinhardt is a deeply flawed individual and that actually helps a ton in making him a lot more relatable reinhardt's development was arguably just my favorite thing overall in season one because i think it i would go as far as to say that like the actual main conflict of season one is reinhardt's development like what kind of man is he going to be um and they did a good job of making his i guess descent into you know the kind of ruthless Machiavellian path that he puts himself on by the end of the season. They, they set it up in a very believable yeah. way where you can see. Yeah. I think a lot of that it is, um, 
I think it was interesting because we talk about how the show has like the dual protagonists or whatever with with Yang and and Yang on one side, like we, we like kind of know who Yang is like from day one. And I don't know if Yang in episode one is really that much different than Yang in episode 26. Whereas, um, you know, Reinhardt, I think that question was still kind of up for debate in episode one. And it kind of gets its unfortunate answer by episode 26. And that's kind of a lot of what the season. And I think it will continue to evolve. Honestly. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, maybe part of that was, you know, I, I think it's telling that uh, <laughs> I think it's telling that the author chose to make Yang like almost 10 years older than Reinhardt because. Right. Um, I was going to say that, you know, Yang is, you know, Yang has answered a lot of questions that you're more comfortable answering when you're like 30 than you are when you're 20. And, uh, you know, we kind of. Right. I mean, in many ways, I mean, who knows? Maybe we'll find out when we watch the Guy Dance series, but it feels <laughs> like. It feels kind of like Yang already went through his tumultuous younger days, and he's a lot more self-assured now. Like, right, and so, yeah, and so just seeing Reinhardt kind of, it, and it's very interesting the way they did it because, like, we don't often see like Reinhardt's like direct perspective. A lot of this is just like from Kirkie's perspective or from like everybody else's perspective. We don't like hear a lot of his like inner monologue on these things, but you know. You know, clearly we right. he's had that, you know, that angel and devil on his shoulder for the entire season one. And then, you know, kind of unfortunately, the devil wins by the end. But um, yeah, all of that was just very fascinating. Totally. All right. So uh, my favorite character will kind of help us also roll into our next topic. But my favorite character that isn't Yang Wenli would probably be Shen Cup. Yeah. I, he's not the biggest, most major character, but look, I... You gotta love the suave, dashing, you know, military <laughs> man who is a little pragmatic, is willing to, you know, punch under the belt a couple times, but he gets results and he's got a gleaming smile the whole time he's doing it. Um, Did he shoot first? Yeah, Shenkop would probably shoot first, yeah. but he would do it with a good reason, and then he'd like <laughs> smooch a lady. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like Shen Cop and the Rosen Ritter because they just, as we said during, you know, the uh, the episode, the, the podcast for this episode, where they take take Ezer alone, Shen Cop just feels like the smoothest motherfucker in the world. Mm-hmm. Like, he's not making the most, like, nuanced character, but it's just everything he does has this air of, like... In the same way that Yang always feels in control in terms of like you know military strategy and tactics, Shenkop feels like he's always in control. You know when he's got a gun or an axe <laughs> or a crossbow in his hand. I think there actually is some some nuance to Shenkop in the the kind of questions that he ends up asking Yang and kind of the the things that he kind of the scenarios that he poses to him that really make you know Yang think about what he's doing and you know kind of all of us thinking about what oh. Yang's doing. Um, he's almost like the. I mean, Shenkop is the one who goes to Yang and is like, "Hey, why don't we just let? Why don't we just wait until the NSMC purges all the politicians, then we swoop in and you take power?" I mean, he's the one who brings that up, right? You know, he is a, a little bit more pragmatic, you know, and and he's and in the very beginning, it's like in the very beginning, he says like, you know. Like five of the previous Rosenrider commanders diver- deserted. It's like, what's going to stop me from doing the same thing? <laughs> like, he's got a lot of confidence. It's really interesting. 
I mean, I think he's a little bit similar to Young, actually. I think that's why they hit it off so well, is that, like Young, he, he doesn't bother with pretense, right? He lays it all out on the table. Right. He He's the kind of character like, look, these are the terms and conditions. These are the risks. Are you still ready to, you know, to bet on me? And and I think that also he, he is in some ways conducive to maybe some of the best Yang moments, you know, where Shen Cop's like, what what happens if I betray you? And Yang's just like, then we all die. Or specifically, I die. This mission will fail. <laughs> like, this entire plan hinges on you. So please, you know, don't betray me. Right. That was a pretty great. Uh, that was a pretty yeah. great uh, scene. And uh, you know, I think with that, we'll just roll right into a favorite moment slash episode, and we'll just continue this train. So for me, my favorite episode probably is uh, the taking of Ezerlone. You know, it's, <laughs> that's a good one. Uh, it's a it's a fun pulpy episode that's still got a bit. You know, it's got that drama. It's got the action. It's. I feel in many ways the taking of Ezerlone is the first episode that communicated at least to Iro and I that oh Legend of the Galactic Heroes can wear a lot of hats and it can wear almost all of them equally good because uh, yeah that episode like it's got some it still has some good fun like tactical bluffing by Young <laughs> it shows that that anime's surprisingly good sense of humor you know there's that uh, I love when the yeah the the soldier falls uh, with the rope attached to him. <laughs> oh, yeah. Just waves at some ladies. Uh... Or like, when they first get there, and like, oh, we're injured, we need help. And, and you know, the commander of user loads like, well, what's what's the problem? He's like, look, look, they're carrying out their dastardly plan. <laughs> it's just Young's point moving back and forth in space. Oh, yeah. And, uh, right, and then that one Rosenritter is like, oh, no, they're starting. <laughs> they know how to sell stuff, those Rosenritter. Uh, the Rosenritter so are fantastic tacticians. Masters of hand-to-hand combat and amazing actors. Like, what can't they do? God damn! Uh, fucking send the Rosen Ritter to assassinate Reinhardt. They could pull it off. If anybody could pull it off, I think. I, go ahead. I'd I'd probably pick that episode too. And also, isn't that also when we saw uh, Dark Young, Dark Young oh, appear? Yeah, Angry end? Young. Yes, yes, you're right. Yeah, oh, Angry Young. Yes, Young. Yeah, we get a good a bit of Yang's humanity where he's right. like, hey, I'm going to fire a couple warning shots because, hey, I now control Izzerlone, this fuck-huge cannon that destroys everything in its path, and I don't want to turn this into a bloodbath, so, you know, please turn around. Please and leave, yeah. When the Empire doesn't, he gets angry because this stupid, incompetent admiral is just going to throw away these lives because of his dumb pride, and it's it's kind of interesting to see that, like, of all the... like. Because Yang is such a nice dude, and he takes so many insults, like, with a smile. Like, he gets so much shit from everybody. But that's the thing that makes him angry. Like, that pisses him off more than anything is just, you know, these completely worthless battles that, you know, that don't yeah. amount to anything but just more death. Uh, I actually really liked episode 16. Was it 15, 16? Uh, where just, like... We're hit with th- like th- three major paradigm shifts in the oh, same episode. episode. It's like okay, we've just finished Armletzer, and like we're all exhausted. 
but also here, the we like immediately get news that the Kaiser has died, which throws everything into chaos on the Emperor's side. And then we get the news that like Job Trunik has been elected to like council chairman, and we go, oh no, like this is going to be chaos right. on the FPA yeah, side. Man. And then Adrian Rubinsky goes into his secret chamber and speaks <laughs> to the Grand Bishop. Yeah. Earth cult, and it's just you're just like, oh, what is God. happening? Yeah, <laughs> that is good because that is the episode that shows us shows us. Oh, Legend of the Galactic Heroes just getting started, right? Is not afraid to change up the status quo. Like this is not just going to be an endless battle between the FPA and the Empire. This will be a a long protracted conflict with sides constantly changing and new paradigms being created every day, and. Yeah, that's a that's a great episode, for right? That. Yeah, it's just like me not ex- like I was kind of still expecting the entire show to just be like F by FBA, kind of going back forth, back forth, and maybe it still will be that to some degree. But like that episode, all of these ex- like major plot twists that I would expect to be happening, you know, two thirds into a show. Are happening in episode sixteen of one hundred and ten, just completely floored me. Yeah, like it makes you wonder, shit. If this is happening in episode sixteen, like what, what crazy reveal will they show by like episode seventy? You know, it's yeah, it's unthinkable. Marlin, what's your favorite episode? Uh, me, I would probably <laughs> uh, pick. Man, I I think it would be the the Battle of Armutzer. Just how. Like there was just so many different tactical shifts and changes, and sometimes you know it would take a little bit of time to figure out how exactly it was all working together. But like, just yeah, how epic the scale was. You know, like they talk about how many millions of people died at the end of it, and and all of the fallout from it. Yeah, so it's it's a huge event. Yeah, I don't think then- like any of us exp- like the show is was relatively like slow paced which is not bad but like just how it was until that battle and then right. suddenly ships yeah, flying around was, explosions everywhere everything happening at once oh. i mean it's a great episode because i think even thematically the way that episode is paced shows like just how messy war can be you know not just in the sense of oh it's gruesome but also how you know what they say is right the let the the best laid plans you know hmm. You know, right. get destroyed in first contact with the enemy, because the moment things actually play into action, everything flies out the window, and you're kind of left just trying to scramble to adapt to whatever your opponent is doing. You know, you kind of see that with Young. You know, he's like Young is like you know he's switching between so many roles during that battle. You know, initially from try to hold out against uh, fucking whoever's fleet at the time and then like <laughs> trying to fly over to help out other fleets and then having to like consolidate everybody's fleets at Amlitzer and and then like you know getting surrounded there and having to like beat a retreat that you know it's like it shows just how frantic battles can be and how in some ways the best admirals yeah. are the ones who uh, oh, yeah. adapt quickly <laughs> <laughs> I just Boy, how many how many amateur size conflicts we're gonna get by the end of the show? Like another thing I really liked is I I can't remember the exact wording, but you know someone was just talking about how great 
of uh, Admiral Yang was, and then another person commented, "Is like, yeah, he's great, but it's only ever in in defeat that he gets his or that he gets his greatness." <laughs> that yeah, it's like yeah, kind of like Insulon is the only big like offensive win when you really think about it. Come on, Yang's not the type to go on the offensive <laughs> in the first place. Yeah, I guess there's the eventually the taking of the FPA, but even he said that, yeah, this is a completely pointless war. Like, I, I hate that I have to kill these people, but we you know, we have yeah. to protect our democracy. And so, yeah, Israel right, like, I barely, only win I barely even count this entire time. winning the rebellion as a win for yep. Young, because it's still a lose for the <sighs> FPA as a whole, so... Uh, but... Okay, so now that we've kind of talked about our favorite characters and our favorite moments... Let's move into the really important stuff. <laughs> and that is, who is the hottest? Who would make the best husbando? And in parentheses, uh, why is it Yang Wenli? I actually am pretty sure Yang, Yang Wenli, because he doesn't take care of himself. <laughs> yeah, but, Yang needs someone who's willing to take care of him. Uh, yeah, you're, you're pretty much... You're pretty much dooming yourself to a life of doing dishes yeah, and making. That's true. Like anybody who's going to be with Yang is going to have to also <laughs> be both his lover and his caretaker, I guess. Which, <laughs> well, okay. Just let's let's just establish the ground rules here. We're not just talking straight up physical appearance. We're looking at like the full package here, right? Like, like yes. So yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, five guys would have to be ranked at the same place uh, because there's but, just no way. But to yes, I mean, <laughs> this is kind of a joke question, but also I think this kind of ties into the idea that. Legend of the Galactic Heroes has been popular with, you know, the Fujoshi fan base for years now. Like, people joke. Like, there was the joke when DNT was first revealed that, oh, great, now Legend of the Galactic Heroes is trying to appeal to the women. It's like, no. Like, so it was always like this. <laughs> right. It's always been popular for these it's reasons. Always, and it's uh... <laughs> understandable because my second favorite episode, honestly, you know, not to go back to the prior <laughs> topic, is it is when Reinhardt goes to the ball. And it's because at the very end, when the bomb goes off, and fucking Kirk Yates is running in there, and he's like, he's running through all the rubble, all frantic, Reinhard and Reinhardt, where are you? And, and, and he's curled in a ball, sitting on a piece of rubble, and he's like, oh, Kirk Yates, I, I, I knew if I stayed still, I knew you would find me, Kirk Yates. I was like, oh, man, like, oh, these guys, their, their relationship is so good. Uh. Like, no wonder why people ship them. Like, Yeah, I guess it has to be Kirky Ice, then, <laughs> if we're going by that scene. I mean, Kirky Ice is the real answer to this question, right? right Kirky Ice has all of the, like, competence and kindness of <laughs> Yang Wen Li, but also the competence and ability to take care yeah. of himself. <laughs> and yes, even by the standards <laughs> of the FPA, apparently Kirky Ice is super hot. And he's FPA. super hot. Uh, so, I mean... <laughs> So is the, is the real question who is the hottest that isn't uh, Yang Wenli or Kirk Yeis? <laughs> Maybe that is the question. Once again, it is the Yang Wenli and Siegfried Kirk Yeis co-present <laughs> who is the hottest Legend of the Galactic Heroes character. I mean, I guess just by objective measures, it seems like uh, Shenkov gets yeah, a lot of love. Yeah, I, I feel like it's Shenkov, right? He's True. like, he's, 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 he is the dashing rogue in that, you know, conventional way. Right, right, yeah. He's voiced by Noir Wakamoto. 
Yeah, I had Romeo rooting, but I he's think, not. Uh, the dark horse yeah, there yeah, too. Yeah, yeah, he, yeah, they yeah. had a comment in there that all the ladies. And I mean, here's the thing, right? Like Rinthal. the reason why you would go for Royanthal is because he kind of has that brooding mystique of Oberstein, but he's also not a creep. <laughs> like, like here's the thing, right? If you dated Oberstein, <laughs> like you just know, like, like here's the let's say still you like, like a really good, like actually healthy relationship with Oberstein, he would still do really shady shit. Right, right. Like Oberstein is the kind yeah. of guy. Like, like even, <laughs> even if his attentions were good, like they are with Reinhard, you'd be like, Oberstein, why are you looking through my phone? And he's like, Oh, well, I, I, I was worried. I wanted to see who you were talking to recently. It's like, why the fuck do you care, Oberstein? And, and, and Oberstein's the kind of guy who would be like, I'm doing it for you. I'm just trying to, like, ugh, he would be that kind of guy. Like, no, thank you. Like. Royanthal is dark and brooding, but like, you, but Royanthal also hangs out with Mittermeier, so like, you know he's kind of cool too. Gale Wolf, like, because Mittermeier <laughs> is like, because you know, let's not let's not discount Mittermeier as well. Like before Mittermeier said his weirdly fascist statement of, you know, authority lies with those who have power. Before he took that turn, Mittermeier is kind of he's kind of like the yeah he's the Gale Wolf. He's like the he's like the fun, more lighthearted one. He's like the, you know, he's like the he's like the he's like the the. The star football, he's like the star quarterback of, <laughs> of of Reinhardt's bench, right? So, like, if Royanthal hangs out with with Mittermeier, you know that they're both probably pretty cool. Uh, they're also both very, they're, they're both also uh, very smart. They easily captured Ovlisser with that master plan. To uh, with shovel. <laughs> the team, the team rocket special. How they did yeah. that hole in the ground? They never really explained that. <laughs> Space shovels, like they were cutting through steel. <laughs> the shovels, probably. They probably had. I'm sure they had those. Those those space axes apparently like, can it's cut through enough. anything. So yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, they cut through people like butter. So <laughs> I will say, all of uh, I would sure. knock all of Reinhardt's admirals down a notch after how quickly they jumped on Oberstein's plan when Reinhardt was uh out of the picture. But, yeah, uh, <laughs> they're all kind of goobers in how quickly they fell for Oberstein's plan, so that is definitely a mark against them. Yeah. Kirky I still wins. I mean, well, here's the thing, all right? I, I will make my argument for Young against Kirky's uh Kirky Eyes is Kirky Eyes is great, right? Kirky Eyes is that dude who would like he'd make you breakfast, he you know, he he'd prepare you lunch, he'd kiss you on the way out, and like Kirk Eyes is like the perfect man, but I think that's the problem. He's too perfect. You would you would constantly feel like you could never live up to Kirk Eyes' standards. And Kirk Eyes would never judge you, right? If Kirk Eyes loved you, he would never hold against you. Like every night in bed, you'd be like, I'm sorry, I'm not good enough for you, Kirk Eyes. And Kirk Eyes would be like, no, it's fine. Like, I love you just the way you are. But you aren't good enough. You'll never be good enough for Kirk Eyes. You're right, G. You've sold me on that emotional burden. That's 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 a lot to uh like, you would constantly, like, whenever you're going out with your friends, whenever Kirk Eyes takes you to meet his friends in, in the throne room, whenever whenever Kirk Eyes introduces you to his work friends, you'd be like, oh my uh, god, he knows all these, like, famous, powerful people. Oh my god, is that Mittermeier, the Gale Wolf, and Royenthal in the same room? And then, is that Bittenfield? Like, you would... <laughs> You'd always, you'd always feel like you were just, you just weren't good enough. You weren't good enough for Kirky Eyes or his friends. You feel like Kirky Eyes' friends would silently judge you, you know. Like when, when Kirky Eyes, like, hey, hey, babe, can you stay here? Uh, I gotta, I gotta talk with Reinhardt for a bit. 
like all all the other generals would be like asking you questions. They'd be like, "Oh, so uh, your Kirky eyes is your, your Kirky eyes is you know, babe. Like, what do you do for a living?" And like, you like, "Oh God, I oh oh God, I work part time." Yeah, you know, and then or, and always kind of have that feeling in the back of your oh, head, no. like, "What about Reinhard? Like, who does he?" He spends a lot of time with Reinhardt. Oh, Kirk guys would never do that. Like, <laughs> you, sure, sure, you say that. No, no, see, that's the thing. You're right. You know Kirk guys is too perfect. He would never do that. And then you would hate yourself for doubting him. All right. I think, I think you've convinced All me. right. <laughs> well, it's, I mean, it's that, or like Look. I said, you're doing dishes, you're making tea. You're probably picking up towels off the bathroom floor. I'm just saying, Yangdi is low maintenance, all right? Like, you can wake up on a Sunday morning and be like, Yang, did you make breakfast? You'd be like, no, I, I thought you were. Did you at least make the tea? Uh, oh, I don't I don't know how to make the tea. Can you put brandy in? But then you don't have breakfast. That's right, Yang is a single dad. <laughs> oh, no, that's, there, there you go. Just, Julian. That's right. Yang and Lee's a hot single dad, and his son is super responsible and, like, like, so you know that, like, Julian will take care of the both of you because Julian's just that good of a kid. And, like, he's a crack Sweet. shot with a gun. And, like, you know, Julian's not a square either. Like, Julian knows that, like, hey, Young likes a little brandy in his tea. But and only if you, you ask. know he'll put a little brandy in your so tea as well. Young Wen Lee is the mom from Toradora. He's <laughs> <laughs> not that helpless. Uh, I mean, I'm seeing the parallels now that you well, keep uh, mentioning. <laughs> Well, G, G, you've made you made very compelling arguments when we look at the the full the full picture. So I don't know if I can really uh, counter right, that. You got to put yourself in. You got to put yourself in that situation and really think about like, yes, Kirky Eyes is amazing. Kirky Eyes is hot. And even in a case where Kirky Eyes loved you, could you love him enough? Could you be good enough for Kirky Eyes? Like, could you possibly be good enough for? And Kirky you know what? Eyes? I bet that's the same argument that Fujoshi <laughs> made for why Reinhardt and Kirky Eyes are meant for each other. Like, the only person that's good enough for Kirky Eyes is probably Reinhardt's. So. Uh, okay. Uh, I don't know, but Yang's pretty woke. Yeah, so now that we've established that, let's move into our next uh, category, which is stack rank Yang's top woke-ass lines. I've uh, tasked Iro here with compiling some of the best uh, lines from Yang Wenli during the first season. Uh-huh. And we just uh, pick our favorites, I guess. I'm just posting a so, bunch uh, into the uh, chat here. Uh, uh, <laughs> for those of you not benefiting from the video feed. Right, yes. Since this is an audio <laughs> podcast, I'm sure this is very good, compelling content, but essentially... We are just looking at. For me, I think it probably would be that. This is why we have to go. Uh, uh, yeah, the, the freedom not to get involved is perhaps the most valued freedom we have in this country. <laughs> <laughs> it's a pretty good line. Yes, it's uh, Yang getting to the very core of democracy. Oh boy, you made uh, a list here. <laughs> These are taking a while for me to load. Yeah, so you went all out. So maybe uh, we'll just like. <laughs> take turns reading them sure. out so the first one i'm looking at here is actually from dnt um it is a line it is the people who create the dictator who have the greater responsibility even if they don't actively support him standing by silently makes them equally guilty mm. pretty good line pretty good line from young and lee <laughs> i like this 
just thinking about winning in the human race is unlimited <laughs> capacity for depravity. <laughs> you know, as you do. Correlated. <laughs> Think about it. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Let's see. Uh, we have here uh, Rudolph, who founded the Galactic Empire, and that bunch in the National Salvation Military Council were both convinced that only they could save the day, and they continued to think so. But what made Rudolph create an atrocious, despotic government was his sense of duty to the whole human uh, race. That next one's really good, too. There's never so, been uh, permanent peace in human history. There's <laughs> been plenty of de- ages with decades of peace. Yeah, that was one of the... In short, my hope is, hotly enough, for a few decades of peace in the future. I actually really do like that one, because it's kind of... That's the one during uh, his talk with Shen Cup, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. And it kind of speaks to, like... Yang's an idealist, but he's not even that idealistic. Like, he's not, he doesn't yeah. think that he's going to save democracy or, you know, usher in a new age of peace. He's just hoping that, like, he can, like, turn this into, like, a Cold War situation where they just can, you know, kind of sign a, an armistice treaty and have a couple decades of, you know, not sending millions right. of people to their deaths. Not killing each other. Uh, Ero, you want to read the next one? <laughs> sure. Got to. This is when he, like, is uh has taken down the coup d'etat forces and they're they're basically talking about how they're totally no we we were doing the right thing we believed we were fighting corruption and yang tells them that political corruption isn't just politicians taking bribes that's the corruption of individual politicians but uh true political corruption means that people aren't free to criticize politicians for taking bribes yeah yang is just a good take factory in general god damn is there is there an opposite of the Austin Walker tweet of you ever see a take so bad you are forced to go to sleep? Is there like a you see a young take so good you are forced to immediately I don't know set up your political seat. action or something? Um, so then we have the, this this one line one where uh, Young is just watching Job Trunick you know gabber on the TV and he says uh and so in any age there are instigators. <laughs> Which is uh, uh, sweet and to the point. Everybody, let's fight so we don't die. Because we can only drink good tea while we're living. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's uh, also a fantastic one. Um, is that the last of them, or do we have uh, yeah. a couple more here? Oh, man, you got a lot. Props to you, Eero, for uh... The few nobles ruling the masses is bad government. But the alliance with the government chosen by the people is badly governed. Which one do you think is wrong? <laughs> really putting that like sums up that is a really yeah, good one. I mean, like, yeah. it's not the kind of question we can easily answer. Yeah. I feel like you know, not to get too deep into the politics again, but I feel like you know, it's very easy to just say, "Oh, Legend of the Galactic Heroes is great because it shows both sides." And I think a lot of fiction falls into that pitfall of being like, "See, both sides are evil, or both sides have as- good aspects to them," and like kind of in that very like flat, very black and white not black, like, very, like, yeah very like unnuanced way whereas i feel like the reason why legend of the galactic heroes can even get away with making that statement of like democracy and autocracy both have like their pros and cons is because the show actually takes the time right to examine both right you can say there's good and bad in both sides but it's almost irresponsible to say that without then explaining why you would say that and that's the show makes make sure that you understand right that. And that's, that's why the, the, the both sides argument is always a bit dangerous because a lot of times people it's don't like, take the time to explain and kind of create, you know, false equivalency or whatever. And, you know, 
and people don't take the time to accept explanations either. Sure, yes. Um, so let's, uh, how many do we have left? Like two or three? Uh, All right, let's see here. I've learned there are two thought, two currents of thought in human society. The opinion that there are things worth more than human life and the opinion that there is nothing preferable to life. When people begin to fight, it's on the pretext of the former type of people and it justifies the latter when they stop fighting. For how many hundreds, how many thousands of years has that I love that. I love that he's just rattling it off while he's like taking a nap. Oh boy. I fucking swear to God, I... I, I need an episode of Legend of the Galactic Heroes where we just see Yang reciting these in the mirror because <laughs> I love Yang Wen Li, all right? I truly do, but nobody can be this smart, right? Like, nobody can just be this good at this, right? Just rattling off like, oh, let me give you like a quick 30-second, you know, debriefing on like the failings of democracy. Like, it's no big I don't thing. Know. Can you get me my I've been in some pretty deep conversations it depends on like how much that person studied that particular topic right i, mean, I, guess that's the thing, I, I right? can see with how much that he's devoted to history studying to like yeah. have these kind of lines just be something that he's thought about for a long time ready to bring up if someone ever thinks about it i do have one last one here that i liked uh yeah from uh from one yang tai long <laughs> the father of yang Wenli. Starring young 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 Winley asking why so many people were fooled by Kaiser Rudolph if he was such a bad guy, and Young Tai Long tells tells his son that it's because the people wanted their lives to be easy. Man, I feel like again I totally understand why Jill you fell off DNT, but at least at least I feel like for Eero and I when we watched that episode, that's what I was like, oh shit, Joe <laughs> was operating on. Levels that anime does not typically engage with, right? But uh, but yes, yes, that one uh also very good. So I don't know. I was gonna say let's stack rank up, but also man, that's uh, I don't that's know. a lot. I don't know. If that's, so, I don't know. I don't know if that's uh, possible. Everybody just I don't know. Say your favorite of those. I guess. No. <laughs> uh. Really, it might be that last one. Yeah. I don't know. Really, I just wanted this opportunity to just talk about some of Yang's many, yeah. many good ass lines in this show. So, <laughs> thanks, Yang Wenli. Yeah, thank you for just, uh, Yang uh, <laughs> Continues to be the good take factory we so desperately need good in boy. our mm-hmm. times. But, uh, <laughs> all right, one more thing we're gonna do is uh, we always talk, <laughs> this is my favorite. We always talk about uh, how. The thing with uh, the thing with Legend of the Galactic Heroes is, oh, there are just so many dang characters we can barely keep up. So we figured, okay, let's see with the end of season one how many characters from the Legend of the Galactic Heroes OP can you name? Probably four. Okay, so so we have a chart that I'm assuming we'll probably link. That would be the. In, in the show notes, probably so everyone, because again, this is this, uh, yes. this is gonna be real. <laughs> so, we have, we'll, we'll so just to start show. out, I I do know who uh, Ana Rosa is, so at least I get one. <laughs> yeah, the first three are, are free squares, <laughs> I think. Uh, so it, <laughs> sure, did I did I give you guys the link? I'm sorry if I yeah I yeah yeah we have we have the we have uh, the since you guys are talking here. about it, I guess so first three. We have we have Anna Rose, Reinhardt, and Kirky Ice. Yeah. So that's kind of the free. Maybe I should have put them squares. in the middle as the free squares. But... <laughs> <laughs> All right. 
So is, are we just are pretty easy. we just yelling them out or uh... sure we can make this a group effort since I feel like can you name that dude? Right, uh, it's cool. it's Mittermeier, Mittermeier, Royenthal, I... Oberstein, Mecklinger. Uh, I thought he was Nilda. Waltz Kent, or Waltz or something. I thought his name started with a W. Uh, I, I, we probably should have had someone that knew After him is Bittenfield, See, for sure. Yeah, so after after Bittenfield, like those now, four guys in a row look identical. Okay, wait. Then, sure, so wait, but the dude after Mecklinger okay, so is I not think Wallen. Lutz and Wallen? Oh, man. See, this is... Look. No, I think that's Kempf. This is also the problem with German names, think? is that at a certain point, they just all start sounding the same. Uh... Yes. Okay, yes. but like, dude with the Reed Richards stripes is Kessler. Right, 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 right. For sure. Right. Uh, so the gray hair is not Fahrenheit, right? Because um, <laughs> right. yeah, yeah Fahrenheit. Yeah, white hair. Who's that go to? And then the really yeah. only have Oberstein. Fuck, I don't, I don't Wait, know. Yeah, who is that? What? Schneider? Oh, is that a shadow box? Sorry. Schneider? Okay. <laughs> Wait, then you have two dudes with mustaches? That's not Wait, helpful. No, so you see the one guy looks like a porn star, and the other guy... Well, one of oh, them... No. One of them... Yeah, the other guy has, like, a perv mustache. This guy has, like, a legit The other guy has, like, a mustache. Yeah. mustache. Perv mustache okay. is Mecklinger. Yeah. So, yeah, sure. I... I got up to Oberstein, and that was about as far as I yeah, got personally. Here. And I knew I knew Fahrenheit and Hilda. At the so end, I think but... at this point we're maybe all sitting at roughly fifty to fifty to seventy percent on the OP, which yeah, <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's better than yeah. I was expecting to be none honest. Of, none of us could get all. Better. of them. I'm I am like definitely one hundred percent sure on about yeah, half totally. Uh, I mean, I think that that says something too. The fact that the show did such a great job of slowly introducing characters. So that you could, uh, you know, kind of just get a get a feel for them, right? Like, if you introduced this this entire cast in the first episode, you'd be like, uh, who the fuck are all these people? Yeah, I think any <laughs> right. of the characters that got any screen time at all, I, I, re- I recognize. Everybody else has, has basically been, like, we, we saw them get introduced, and, like, that was about it. We haven't actually, like, seen them really do anything. Yeah. Um, one thing it, I would it, count it, against them is that they did a really bad job of differentiating female characters because, for some reason, for the life of me, I can't uh, separate Jessica Edwards, Frederica Greenhill, and Hilda, whatever her name is. They all have short. Uh, there's only three. Of them. I mean, there's only three of them, but they're all blondes, yeah. which feels like a very short, you know, in that same yeah. like you know, ballpark. Well, Countess Westfall. Yeah, yeah. It's it. <laughs> Look, somebody on the character design had a thing a for blonde short blonde hair. <laughs> it's the same, it's yeah. kind of the same haircut too. Well, uh, Frederica has a hat on. Yeah, yeah still. but it's still yes. basically the same haircut. I mean, she's got a military is that, is that, haircut. Is that they all have the same haircut, or is that just what was in style at the time? Because I mean, fuck, even Reinhardt starts. <laughs> Reinhardt has the same haircut. <laughs> same haircut. Yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. But, uh, that's a decent job, all said and done. So I am now. Yeah, I think the, FPA yeah, side yeah, is probably. I'm going here. to. Uh, did you guys I'm already not, have the FPA? No, we don't, have, we don't have that one. No, I don't, I don't think oh, we have yeah, that one. Okay. Uh, give me on one moment. This is. Uh, that one's a bit tougher because we don't get face mm. shots in that yeah, ending okay. sequence. Oh, yeah. It's just like a big shot at the end. 
This is great radio. <laughs> listening to us. Well, we, you know, we hear it. People can play. Fumble. Okay. All right. Left to right. Let's go. Yeah. All right, Edwin Fisher. Fisher. I yeah. think the next guy's Patorcha. Sure. And then, uh, and yeah. then Murai. Murai, yes, yeah, like the only dude. Yeah, and oh, then the, the, two, the two dudes in the back yeah. are what? Uh, Poplin and Kona. Poplin, yes. Then we have Frederica. Yeah, well, yeah. and then Frederica, uh, Yog, Julian, and, and then uh, Dusty Attenborough. Right. Uh, Dusty Attenborough, Shenkop. Who's the dude? That guy, I have no idea. But then it's Kazu and his wife and kids. But then who's that blonde dude on the very right? Yeah. No, yeah. <laughs> I have not the slightest. <laughs> like that guy, the two people next to Kazunu, I have no idea who they are. Okay, so absolutely not. Kazunu, Kazunu's mystery cabal for now. So. <laughs> That's actually went better than I thought. I thought we'd have trouble with the FPA because have they we all even wear the met same those uniform. Kids but in the corner, yeah, they have. They've shown up a bit, uh, like just a little bit. Uh, when he was uh, transferred to alone, they are there. His wife, his wife and kids, who will probably uh, die at some point or uh, something. I don't for know. me, I didn't know anybody on the left up to Frederica. Mm. I, I don't know <laughs> yeah, are. I'm surprised I... you got Mariah and Popochev or whatever his name is. <laughs> uh, I totally forgot those two dudes. Also, looking at this now, I'm surprised Bucock yeah. is not in the ED. Yeah, Bucock like, or I think this is meant to be like Young's yeah. squad, though, right? I guess not to go back to the prior topic. I just want to give a brief shout out because we never had the chance. Bucock yeah. is a pretty cool dude. He's all right. Bucock, oh yeah, oh, when he Fork is yells him into a coma. <laughs> yes, owns Andrew Fork so hard Hell he goes yeah. into a coma. Yes, uh, you know we don't really know his uh, we don't know his credentials as an actual leader of men, but as a person, I Bucock think, is all right. I get right. the impression Bucock is it at least a good uh, leader of men. I don't know about a military commander, but uh. I'm sure, I'm sure the troops are behind him that are uh, working directly under him. But uh, sure, yeah. But uh, speaking of uh, w- wild speculation about Castle News <laughs> family, so we're gonna roll oh, to boy. our final topic here, which may be a-, a doozy. We'll see, depending on how mu- we'll see, we'll see how deep we go into this, depending on how much time we have left. But uh. We wanted to cap this off our big final, you know, final season extravaganza with uh, the wild speculation corner. I brought you all here because I wanted us all to speculate on where things are going to go from here for Legend of the Galactic Heroes. Just what are your completely unbased theories on how things develop from here? Who lives? Who dies? You know, how and when and all that good shit. Just... Here's the one Let's theory go. I've been developing recently that with the disruption of the politicians and, uh, you know, the lack of solid leadership at the top, I think Trunick is going to try and make himself the president of the FPA, like to abolish the idea of the high council, because it seems like there's not much of the high council members left. Yeah, I could, yeah, I could see that. Yeah. I mean, I think I could definitely see him trying to turn or I could see him calling himself the president. You know, to keep up with the uh, the auspices of oh, we're still a democracy. You're just electing right. one person now, but it will totally be like a power move to consolidate all the power to himself. And honestly, I feel like he'd probably pull it off too because we've really Job Trunet kind of is kind of similar to Reinhardt, and we've only seen yeah. him move upwards. Plus, he's got that Earth cult vote. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Apparently, the rather large 
Earth cult voting demographic that we were not aware of. Yeah. I do want to bring up that uh, because we saw Boris Konev taking, uh, we saw him like, you know, ferrying people to Earth, but then also later we saw him back at Fazan means Earth is totally there somewhere, right? Or he was just like secretly ferrying Earth cult people into the hmm. Empire. And I'm not sure which it is. Uh, yeah, but... that's a good point. Like, the only thing we know about the Earth cult is that they think that Earth is behind Empire lines, hmm. but we actually don't know where Earth is still. I think that that would be something easily, like, well, because, you know, the legend of the FPA is that he expanded outwards, so it has to be that it would be in Empire lands. I, I do like, think... I mean, who can say? I mean... Like, unless there's some kind of yeah, the FPA did split off from the yeah. Empire. Sorry, Joe. What were you gonna say? I do think we are due to see a lot more of Fazan, right? And probably sooner rather than later. I'm mm. guessing. Oh, we did. Just as kind of a yeah. I feel like so. I feel like there needs to be kind of a bridge between. Um, and this is just my gut instinct. Totally, again, totally baseless. Just on like how stories normally work. I feel like there needs to be kind of a almost like a palate cleanser bridge between the civil war stuff before we get back into the, uh, the actual FPA versus the empire conflict. Probably. And, uh, Fazan seems like a pretty easy way to distract us for a bit as we kind of get our, cause it, cause at, at this, we kind of left off at the end of season one, you know, just as the civil wars were ending on both sides. And, I think and there was take a little Fazan uh, sending, you know, like basically spies to either side. Right, right, yeah, there was that too. Um, and you know, I'm assuming it's going to take a little bit of time for presumably Reinhardt and Yang. Well, not Yang, but maybe it's going to be Trunic. I don't know. Consolidating power uh, on on the FPA side and and Rein, Reinhardt kind of. I mean, at this point, Reinhardt is the leader of the Empire, right? That's where we've left off. Um, right. Yes. By you know, the de facto leader, if you will, because the actual leader is still like a ten year old boy or whatever. But uh, yeah, another thing is if it is going to involve Fizan, uh they said a long time ago that the taking of Ezerloan might have been too much of a power shift to the FPA. So I wonder if things are going to come back to Ezerloan. I could see. I think Ezerloan will figure in prominently later in the series. You know, I don't know necessarily how but that's where young is so like um the grand bishop of the earth cult did say like within three years i will punish all of those who left earth or something and like timeline wise it's already been almost yes. a year yeah we're gonna see another time skip in like in the i mean like next episode i, I mean i think we will definitely i think we'll definitely i think we'll Maybe. definitely see more time no skips within the next you know 80 episodes or whatever but <laughs> Uh, I mean, I could see that happening to kick off season two. Yeah. Like that would be a good yeah. place to do it. Just like both of both both uh, sides and take a break for like a year, just to recover. Or something. Well, that's the other thing. Even just yeah. I was talking about consolidating power, but like all the losses they took, um, in in the past, you know, yeah, twenty episodes yeah. or whatever, and the Civil War too, where they're you know you're doubling your losses in the Civil War, right? So, right. I, uh, I definitely agree with you, Jill, to go back a bit on the Fizan angle. Like, Iro and I have have continuously joked that 
Fazan is kind of like this weird one-trick pony during most of season one, where they're just kind of like off in the <laughs> darkness, like snickering, be like, oh, oh, oh everything's going according <laughs> to plan. We're going to play both sides. And every scene with Fazan is basically just Rubinsky looking about as shady as Oberstein, but <laughs> ten times more sleazy about it. And, like, you think that eventually all that buildup has to lead to something, right? And, well, that's the thing, right? Like, right now, it doesn't feel like, like, it feels like Fazan is gaining power, but it still feels like, you know, economic power. I'm kind of curious if eventually Fazan you translates know, one thing, to military One thing power that stood out to me in uh, DNT is they did seem to make a bigger deal out of Fazan, like, in the intros when they're like, there are three powers in the galaxy and you know they they almost spoke about Fazan like on the same level as the as the FPA and the Empire in DNT. I mean I don't know if that means anything or if that was just yeah, you know frame it like that. that is- whatever. But I it feels like they made Might have just been feels like they made a bigger deal and DNT being made like, you know, after with 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 hindsight, I wonder if, if we're really <laughs> digging deep for clues here. <laughs> I do wonder if if uh, I feel like they were just talking about him being big, just like how, like in like the 1600s and 1700s, how the Netherlands was a great power, not because they had any kind of military, because they had a, they had a lot of money great trading empire. That could be something just like that. Yeah, I mean, I think I think regardless, we have yet to see Vizan play their hand. So, whatever it's coming, it's probably going to be pretty big, and they've been building up to it for so long, like. I feel like you couldn't do an entire like season two of Legend of the Galactic Heroes just being more of Fazan, you know. We have to at least recall, yeah. We have to at least see more. I think it has to come the moving parts behind the scenes of what what they're up to, even if they don't make their big play this season. We have to at least get more. We we need we need to see more build up to whatever their big play is going to be. Yeah. So, do we want to? Do we want to talk about the ED? I, we have to. I think. It, I think. I think the healthy thing to do would be to talk about our feelings <laughs> on the ED. I'm really scared about the ED. I love the oh, ED yeah. song. Like I have that play like in the background all the time. I love that track. It's so good. Like that, just oh, that good mournful melancholy old lyrics. Everyone fading away and leaving it's only like, Julian. Like, oh, what is it? The face Reinhardt. Like, I swear. Oh man. Like, oh, God, if this is, like, I'm just saying, if, like, we get some fucking, like, Infinity War, like, Yang Wen holding a cup of tea, and he's like, Julian, I don't feel well, so good. It's, you know, like, everybody else fading out is just feels like a directorial choice, but I feel like the shot where it very specifically shows Yang and Julian together... And then the and then the camera kind of pans over to Julian and stays with him, and it's Julian turning to look at Reinhardt. That's the scary part, right? Like, right, yeah, because that seems very that deliberate. That implies so much, dude. Yes. Holy shit. Okay, I don't, I don't want to say this out loud to just to jinx it, but it just seems uh, so early for such a. I mean, I guess once again we're saying like it's like, yeah. I guess it's a thing about. So that's the thing that kind of fascinates me about Julian, right? Is that if I if I didn't if we didn't watch that ED, if we didn't know about that ED, I think we'd all just treat Julian as like, oh, he's like that, you know, he's that cute kid that hangs out with Yang and like takes care of him and like he's grown up to become his own man, but you know. But because of the way the ED frames him, like, what do you think is in store for Julian? Like 
Right. So, right. so you're going to become Yong 2.0. Like, is there going to be a time skip? Is something bad going to happen? Yong dies, and then we get like a time skip. And so, don't even say it out loud, man. Don't even say it. Here's here's face that reality. Here's, here's what I would just add with that. So. I don't know if you guys remember very early on when I started watching this, I asked the question of, you know, is there room in this world for good people like Yang and Kirky Ice? Um, and the answer to that question has been very interesting, oh, um, especially since we've seen the answer was no for Kirky Ice, at least on the Empire side. Um, and, uh, you know, Jessica Edwards, another good and example. Jessica Edwards on the um, side. And that thematically makes me more worried for Yang than anything. <laughs> um, and uh, it, it is interesting because I don't yeah. think, I, I don't ever really think of Legend of Galactic Hero- Heroes as cynical or like, I don't think they would ever like flat out say, no good people cannot be successful in, uh, in, in, in this world. But it is kind of saying that it's, it's very difficult and maybe the answer it's is difficult. no, but that it's still kind of worth trying. I think that's what the kind of overall message that they're shaping up is. Like, it's still... I mean, it seems to understand that, like, if you're just a jerk to everyone, in some ways you will get ahead faster than them. Uh, right. I And that we can kind of only... We can kind of only hope that good people like Yang are able right. to have enough impact in the time that they have that kind of message. I still think it's kind of still... They're still going for a positive message, but yeah. part of that message is a reality that, you know, people who are going to be, you know, pragmatic and Machiavellian and whatnot are going are going to be the ones that are going to terrified that the ending of the show is just everyone has like humanity I... has destroyed itself and the remnants are just there to suffer under like terrible circumstances and then we just zoom out because it's just another right. page in the history oh, of the God. galaxy. <laughs> I, I don't I don't think I don't think the show would go there, but I do think um no. just to tie back to Julian, which is I guess what I was trying to get to. Yeah. Um we see Julian kind of soaking up all of Yang's knowledge, but we also see Julian I would almost go as far as to say he has a little Reinhardt in him. I think I think yeah. he's I think he, he he's gonna he's shaping up to be when he grows up to be more of a man of action than perhaps or, or maybe a little more proactive than Yang might choose to be. Uh, you know, because Yang, you, you know, he's doing all he can to do what he feels is right, but what Yang really wants to do is read history books and drink tea right, right? but because <laughs> yes. because he has such a strong you know sense of right and wrong and you know he he feels obligated to do the things that you know put in the work that he's doing whereas i kind of get and this is again just pure speculation i get the impression that julian you know is you know he's a different he would be he would be different in that position so you know, could we get somebody with that mix of, um, you know, the, the wisdom that he's learned from Yang over the years, yeah. but someone who's willing to, you know, take charge and who, who wants to take charge of this, you know, the situation um, that would be interesting. So just throwing that out there. I think, yeah, I, I certainly hope so. I think that's an interesting uh, direction. I 
the thing with Julian is I don't think I would necessarily want him to just become Young 2.0. Also, I don't think the right. show is supporting that idea anyways because frankly, like Julian yeah. is a good kid. He's smart. Like we've all seen that, but we've yet to see him absorbing like Young's tactical knowledge. Like the thing about Young is that not only is he a good person, like he like he's imparting his morality onto onto Julian. And I think that like that I think that says so much about Young that he thinks the most important thing Julian can learn from him is how to be a good person. To be a good person. But, yeah. and I think in many ways, I think Young would actually even be hesitant to teach Julian how to be better at war because it's just so what he does not want for Julian. I think it's just, like as Iro has said so many times, the inherent tragedy maybe of Julian's character is that the tragedy of the war and the era he is born into will, like Young, force him to to take up that mantle <laughs> I'm so sad. I was so sad when he became a soldier because there's a line early, early on where he's where he's like, "Oh, Yang says that by the time I'm I can become a soldier, I won't need to." But then he just took that's definitely soldier. going to happen. <laughs> it's just like I mean, Loki, really he grew sad. Up waiting for that big like loss of innocence moment for Julian, you know, like yes, he's now, but he still hasn't really been forced to confront what this war is and. Yeah, I'm just deeply anxious about when that's coming. I know. He's such protected. a good kid. and But it's like it's like Jell said. He does kind of have a harder edge to him than Yang does. Like, like Yang doesn't even carry a gun. I mean, he says that because he can't shoot for shit. Whereas, right. But also, he doesn't want to carry, carry a gun. Like, I'm sure if Yang actually put his mind to it, he could probably learn, but he just doesn't want to. Whereas Julian actively picks it up. He actively wants to be better with a gun, you know? That's why he's taking lessons from Shenkop and stuff. I think, like, again, I'm not saying, oh, Julian's gonna, like, take a dark turn and become, like, ruthless and pragmatic, but I wonder, I think, like Jell said, I wonder if Julian will become, like, the next step in the message that... Yeah, I think if Yang ever dies, like, Julian's the one we're gonna have to pin our hopes on. I think it's not just that, but I think it's that, like, if Yang is the message about like how important it is to fight for democracy, or how important it is to, you know, what, I'll put it this way: if Yang is all about how important it is to defend yep. democracy, I wonder if Julian will be how important it is to act actively fight for democracy. If we, we got a we got a lot yeah. of episodes to go, right. so I, it's all Who very. Say? I can't. Uh, I can't awesome. wait to find out, man. <laughs> Who can say we're only twenty five percent through? Yeah. So yeah, what other characters do we want to just baselessly speculate about? You mentioned one of you guys mentioned something a little while back uh, about about how bad people, you know, who do jerkish, selfish things get ahead in life. And yep, I, however, think that while that is true, I think eventually, and I'm not saying now, I'm not even saying in the next season. I think eventually this show's message is going to be about how if you do that your whole life I hope so. eventually things are going to turn around on you like you screw over enough people so. like even if you do it strategically even if you do it with perfect Machiavellian like grace you screw over enough people you ruin enough people's lives it will come around come for you. I don't know when that when is that coming for Reinhardt I don't know that could this could easily happen in the last episode but I think a reckoning <laughs> will come for Reinhardt eventually. Like he, like this show, 
Reinhardt gets stabbed in the street the last episode. <laughs> like, I don't think I don't think this show is going to end with and so Reinhardt became God Emperor of all of space. The end. Like, because that's not how history works. Like, even the best, like, autocratic emperors in, in world history, eventually their empires fall. Eventually, because they are empires, because they are autocratic, eventually they pass on absolute I- rule to somebody who is not as capable, who is not as competent, who is not as charismatic, and things begin to fall apart. You know, it happened to the Goldenbaum dynasty. I think it will happen to Reinhardt's dynasty. Yeah. So, I think pretty much anybody dying in this show is fair game. Like, I would not be shocked by anybody dying at this point. Um, But I do think if we kill the entire cast, the last one to go will be Reinhardt. Um... (laughs) <laughs> that's kind of just my my gut instinct and it could be that in the last episode you know i made the julius caesar comparison maybe he's going to be the one being stabbed by his senators or something like that at the uh, at the end but um yeah he definitely needs he I, he definitely passed a point of no return i think on this last like once you start murdering children it's kind of hard you can't really redeem yourself after that one right <laughs> so I, I have a feeling in the immediate future we're going to see more of Reinhardt embracing his, that, basically doing whatever Oberstein tells him to do and kind of embracing that side of himself. And maybe later he'll regret that and try to make up for it, but I don't. You can't really make up for it. So I mean, poetic justice is going to demand he's going to have to die at some point. So, but I just don't think yeah. I, I don't think that's yeah. going to happen until the very end, if it does. Yeah, Marlon, you were saying something. Yeah, I just. And once again, I wonder how Hilda is going to factor into this because, you know, she's obviously not going to be a bit player forever, right? One would think they wouldn't put her in the opening and just have her do nothing. Yeah, I I actually do have a theory theory about Hilda. And that's based on what we see in the final episode. It's... I think we all can say, uh, it is no exaggeration to say that Reinhard perhaps sometimes leans on his emotional crutches... Uh, quite hard uh, with Anna Rose and Kirky Eyes mm-hmm. and with Kirky Eyes dying and Anna Rose saying oh, we need to spend some time apart we need to, t- we need to take a break as siblings <laughs> it's a really I weird think- thing to do <laughs> I think that because here's the thing right he has no more emotional crutches cr- look I like his admirals Reinhardt is not going to be like Mittermeier am I doing the right thing He's not going right. to go get a beer with Mittermeier. Right, right. And he certainly not, And even if he tried to get a beer with Oberstein, Oberstein would be like, you know, or something. <laughs> Oberstein is that jerk that wouldn't order a drink and then make you feel bad that a you ruler did. must A ruler must stay on a new reading. could start quoting the prince again. and. Uh... But yeah, to get back to the Hilda stuff, real quick. Y'all saw how, like, Reinhardt was drinking both his and Kirky Eyes' glass of wine yes, in episode yes. 25, right? Like, do you think, you think Reinhardt's going to start to develop a booze problem? Like, <laughs> I did think I did think that when I saw that. Yeah, that I mean, seems very... already basically got... Young is on the edge. He dilutes it with tea. It's fine. <laughs> he just needs a little pep in his step every morning. But I'm just saying... Let's just keep an eye out on, like, Reinhardt's drink count over this well i think that that's going to be the the interesting (laughs) thing for me to see with reinhardt is he going to just fully embrace his new role or is he going to still feel regret 
Um, like I said, at, at some point, is he going to try to atone for what he's done? Uh, or is he just going to just be full on villain? I think it would be more interesting for him to kind of bear that weight and, and, and be conflicted about it for the rest I, of his life, as opposed to just like, yeah, go ahead. G. Yeah. I would love for him to bear that weight, but I think the way Reinhardt talks at the end of episode 26, honestly, I think he's going to double down because he has that conversation at the very end with himself where he's like, now I have to win the universe because if- oh yeah he he will in the immediate future but I'm thinking like longer term maybe maybe I just think that because he's now all in on this like if I don't win the universe then Kirky Eyes' death will have been for nothing like I feel like he's gonna double down now on like I must become the Kaiser at all costs like I must make my perception of Kirky Eyes' like are we gonna see true. old man Reinhardt with his drinking problem and- after he's after he's conquered the galaxy, he's like haunted by the ghosts of uh, his, uh, I don't know. Like, it would be a little cliche, but like, the you know, you notice like how like, you know, all the other Kaisers, like, oh, they eventually became decadent and started drinking a bunch and having sex with women that were way too young. And I'm not saying Reinhardt is going to go full despot, but I think like as time goes on and as the, the realities of rule become increasingly more difficult and he has nobody to rely on the path is definitely open and so speaking to that i think because reinhardt has kind of already laid down the foundations of a friendship with hilda like seemingly a genuine friendship you know or at least you know something resembling that i do wonder and this is i'm not it's a little unfair just to be, oh, it's because she's a woman, but I do think that... There's only so many female characters in this show. Right. I think that Reinhardt may, like, or to put it the other way around, I think Hilda might become Reinhardt's next emotional crutch. Like, the person that he overly relies on to maintain emotional stability. I mean, I thought they were going to hook up the first time they talked, so... <laughs> that quick, huh? Just what about to... Baroness Westfall? Well, I didn't think I didn't think they were going to hook up, like actually hook up at that point. But the thought popped into my head, like the second that they they met, right. like I, I could I could see this. Uh... Yeah, I think they obviously laid the foundation there with you know, oh, she's a smart, independent, noble woman who like knows the actual shape right. of the empire and doesn't buy into the propaganda, you know. Would theoretically make her a good fit for someone like Reinhardt, who also theoretically right. doesn't care for pretense or BS. So what about Young and Frederica? I think that's happening. Like, <laughs> honestly, like now that I hate to say, but like now that Jessica's out of the picture, like, like there's probably yeah. an episode of Frederica where, like, after she's gotten over the death of her dad, is going to be like, how, yeah, how much this happen? How much younger is she? I think like seven years or so, seven or eight. He was like a junior how, officer or whatever during he was in his early twenties during Alpha Seal. Yeah, yeah. Say he was, was like twenty-one or twenty-two when she was fourteen. Yeah. No, no, that's fine. It's, look, it's not that weird. The, uh, the, older, the official test ages, for how young yeah. is too young is you divide your age in half. He doesn't remember her. Divide your age in half was young, and so add seven. Like he's like, oh yeah, divide your age in half and add seven, and that's, <laughs> that's how uh, how young is too young. That's how you figure that out. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That would definitely qualify then. Oh boy! <laughs> if, if seven or eight years is what we're saying, and he's like in his thirties, well, I, I think Earth Cult will 
be more important I, in the next... The thing I'm, I'm weird about with the Earth then. cult is it feels too weird if all of a sudden the Earth cult, like, fucking... Like, if the Earth cult, like, space fortress rises out of the... Oh, yeah, that's what you're right. Like, surprise, surprise! We were building this in secret the whole time! We have a military capable of matching the FPA! It's like that... I don't know what's going on, man. Yeah, I kind of, I kind of hope that doesn't happen. That would be too much. Yeah. Um. Do we have any last minute uh, speculations, or do we just want to uh, start wrapping this up? I think we covered most of it. Covered most of it. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll uh, in that case, I think we're gonna call this after. Uh, for you, for you, the listener, after about three hours, I think we're going to call this a podcast. We'll have yeah. all the commenters uh, making fun of us on our predictions and how yeah. wrong we are. <laughs> so, yes, of course, I just want to lay it out right there. Please, to all the commenters, no spoilers, not even not even hints at it. I, I know you guys love, you know, I know you guys Slide. love comments about, like, you know, the things that happen and you guys love, you know, hinting at things to come. And sometimes we do appreciate that, but this time... Thank you for your support. Yes, and of course, Bye. thank you for listening. Just f- for the sake of this speculation sub, you know, aspect of the, of the podcast, just just let us speculate base- baselessly. You know, the thing I, I... The reason why I did this uh, portion of the podcast is because I think it would be kind of fun if we do this every uh, season finale podcast and we kind of update our speculation and we kind of look back at what we thought was going to happen. We kind of look back and laugh at like, oh man, I can't believe we <laughs> yeah. thought that was going to happen. Right. Like uh, Arba's Necklace stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah, as an example. Very early in this show, we thought, oh man, the Artemis Necklace is going to be a big deal later on. Right. And not it's literally jack shit. <laughs> yeah, I just threw some ice cubes at it. Uh, so let us have some fun with our dumb baseless speculation we just please ask you guys to keep it spoiler free uh with that said i just want to thank you all for listening thank you guys for sticking with us this long Eero, marlin gel thank you guys for accompanying you know me on this journey Mm -hmm. thank you high dive Yes, yes, thank you, High Dive, of course. You can watch Legend of the Galactic Heroes on High Dive. and maybe... Soon to be on VRV and maybe Crunchyroll. Yeah, that would that be would cool. Be Hopefully that happens. Uh, let's see what else. Uh, as always, you can listen to the podcast on the blog. You can listen to it on iTunes, Podbean, and wherever podcasts are bought and sold, I guess. Aggregated. Yes. Uh, you can listen to the podcast in video form on YouTube at the Gloria Blogs YouTube account, which you can find if you just Google the Gloria Blog YouTube because <laughs> we don't have a URL. So, hey, if you really loved us wildly speculating, you know, about bullshit, then please like and subscribe. What else? Yes, yes. Tell your friends, tell your enemies, leave a review. You can follow us at the Gloria Blog on Twitter. Uh, you can listen to our sister podcast, The Gloria Chat, where we talk about, you know, anime that aired this year instead (laughs) and yeah i think that's it so i think that's gonna be the wrap-up for our season one finale podcast thank you guys so much for listening again once again thank you to my my fellow travelers amongst the sea of stars you know uh sure yeah thank you I hope to bring on uh, Marlon Jellyhoe. I can bring you guys back onto the podcast sometime in the near future. Yeah, love to. It was fun getting you guys here to, uh, you know, add your thoughts to the mix. 
Eero, as always, thank you especially for mm-hmm. uh, for being my navigator. You know, my collector of screen caps, my collector <laughs> of titles because I'm too lazy to do that on my own. <laughs> and uh, mm. with that, all right, yeah. Thank you all for listening, and you know, next time we'll uh, we'll be talking about season two. Yep. So I'll see you all once again amongst the sea of stars. <laughs> <laughs>